Welcome to another episode of the Frankie Lee Podcast. Our mission, to empower others to break patterns, flip perspectives, so that together we have clarity, direction, and success way beyond what we ever previously thought possible. Here's your host, Frankie Lee. Welcome back to the Frankie Lee Podcast. Now, a few of you have been on at me for quite a number of months about getting this legend that I'm going to introduce you to today on the podcast, and I'll tell you now... If there's one person I'm hyped about having on the podcast, it's this man here. Ten-time world champion, owner of Boon Chu Gym in the Gold Coast, Mr. John Wayne Parr. Welcome to the podcast, yeah. man. No, thank you very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Mate, it's, a ple- it's an absolute honor to have someone who's done so much in the sport, boxing, Muay Thai, kickboxing, all that stuff. On the sofa, mate. Absolute fucking honour. I'll tell you now, I'm I'm so fucking hard to like this. <laughs> mate, I think the best place we can start with you is is like how do you like you've achieved so much in the game, right? You've achieved so much in the game and, and I wanna talk about all of it. But I wanna what inspired you to even start the pursuit in the in in the game and obviously going to Thailand and everything in the first place? What kind of really got you into it? Uh uh, growing up as an only child, and then my parents were in the horse racing industry. Uh, we lived on farms, so I was very isolated from um, civilization. I was always by myself. And then I just had a fascination with uh, martial arts movies. So I just, um, yeah, I'd go to the video store, and I'd, just go, I'd go straight to the martial arts section. They're all old ass, and yeah, all yeah, yeah. fake mustaches, and fake eyebrows, and doing the flying through the airs. And it's like, this is amazing. Uh, I want to I be a martial artist. Um, and then Rock and Roll Wrestling came on TV. And then the Karate Kid movie came out, and, it's like, and it talks about a, a kid that going to, going to a new school and finds martial arts and finds a new direction. And um, and then Van Dam came out, and it's like, oh, this guy goes to Thailand. This is amazing. So, um, uh, at the age of eleven, we moved to Brisbane, and then there was a Taekwondo school that was close to the home, and that was the first time that my parents allowed me to go out at night time. And 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 it was only like four streets away, but at the same time it was a big deal when you when you yeah, 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 when, you, when you're that young when, when you're, you're that little, young. little kid. And then um, did my first Taekwondo class and just fell in love with the whole aspect and seeing everyone in uniforms and having their belts and, and having the structure and the uh, karate and hearing the snap of the gi when you're doing a punch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. this is like, this is a superhero. This it's, is a, it's just the energy you felt. Yeah, yeah for sure. And then um, so my, my as a young person, I thought, oh, I'm going to be a Taekwondo black belt. I want to travel to Korea. I want to break boards and do backflips and jump off buildings and... And then uh, at the age of 13, the Taekwondo school couldn't make enough rent to, to support the uh, business. So so they moved out. And then approximately six months later, kickboxing moved into the same hall. And then it's like, oh, it's not Taekwondo. I'll do this until I find another ta- Taekwondo school. And then luckily, um, from the first class, like, this is even better than Taekwondo. You can punch at the head now. We're in gloves. There's competitions. Um, just seemed more violent and more exciting. So, so, uh, so, so it's actually the violence that got oh, you into it. Um, also, the the taekwondo there was limited; you couldn't punch to the head. Um, there was different different structures, um, safety reasons. Whereas, whereas uh, kickboxing seemed more brutal, um, more reali- more realistic. Um, and then, and then especially the, the when I started the kickboxing, the movie Kickboxer came out approximately at the same time. Oh, Van Damme. And then he's going to Thailand. He's training with the Thais, and he fights the most fearsome Thai guy. It's like, well, from now on, uh, my whole uh, 
game plan has changed. I don't just want to be a world champion. I have to go to Thailand and beat the Thais to be a, a to, champion. Yeah, to beat them at their own game. Yeah, I don't. How am I going to be um, recognised as a proper champion if I don't beat a Thai? And then uh, I had approximately 13 fights here in Australia. Won the Australian title at 17. Won the South Pacific title at 19. And then the the South Pacific title was the one that helped um, my Thai sponsor. Um, decide to fund me to go and live in Thailand for six months at the start. Yeah. Um, he said, oh, if you're going to be a champion, you have the heart to, to go all the way. But if you want to learn from the best, you've got to go to Thailand and learn from the best. So um, we'll, we'll go for six months and uh, I'll send you to a Thai camp. So we got to the facility and uh, we are living on a, a wooden floor and we had no toilet paper. We had to uh, have a little bucket next to the uh, a water basin where you pour water into your hand to yeah. wash your butt. And, yeah. uh, having a shower even, it was cold water. Um, so you'd, you splash on, you'd lather up with soap and then you splash off again. And then after that, then you'd, you'd sit on the floor and you'd have rice for, rice for breakfast, rice for dinner, maybe noodles for lunch. Uh, there was no cornflakes or toast. Yeah. It was just a pure culture shock. Uh, but then after a couple of weeks, it just becomes normal. It just, just becomes every day. But, but, and, and then there's no iPhones, there's no internet, there's no nothing. So, so you're, you're, you're literally, you literally went from, from obviously fighting in Australia, you do your 13 fights, and then you took yourself to complete isolation in Thailand. So you're not living in a, you're not living in a place that's got like tourism or anything like that. You're living in no. probably one of these. Yeah, Bangkok. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so, in, so, so Samui and Phuket weren't popular at that stage yet. So I was right in the middle of Bangkok, with, uh, very close to, um, Lumpini Stadium, Rajananda Stadium, uh, Sanam Luang, uh, the big, the, where the, all the temples are, um, uh, on, on the Japia River, where, oh, right, right in the, in the and then, uh, in the camp, you pretty much live, live in the facility, so there's nowhere to hide, so if you don't wake up in the morning, the trainer just comes up and gives you a kick, go, go run, you can't, you can't say, you, you can't, you can't just get out of training, can you? No, no, <laughs> you live, at, you live on the site, so there's impossible to, to, to complain that you're too sore, or you're, you don't feel motivated to train that day, no matter what, you have to train. And then the ties expect you to train harder than yesterday. Every day you got to train harder than yesterday. So it's just that. I, 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 I saw a thing, a video of clip of you about the gym. And it basically said, if you're in the gym, you basically said, if you're in the gym and you you don't feel like you can train harder than you trained yesterday, go home. Yes. That was that's your whole mentality to it, isn't it? Really, not their my, their their mentality. I was happy to go home, but it's like, um, and then you got kids that are six, seven years old, and then if you can't do it, the time, well, look at the kid, he's freaking seven, the kids, he's, he's doing it. it. The Why can't you do it? it? It's like ah, <laughs> so just so, so just to break just to break it down then for the audience, like what in terms of like levels between like Australian kickboxing Thai boxing all that kind of stuff and then the Thai game the, the what is the what is the what is the difference like how wide is the difference uh, in Australia we do it as a sport and for a bit of shits and giggles um, whereas Thailand it's their main occupation and then every every fight if you win your prize money goes up a little bit and if you lose your prize money goes down so it's good incentive the more you win the more money you make and then the more you lose uh, and then it's a full-time job there's no there's no, there's no it's, half it's, it's, not, it's not, it's not a hobby. It's, yeah, you're, you're, it's a lifestyle and it's, it's a life. A, yeah, it's, um, yeah, and there's so much more pressure to be successful because if you're not successful, then you're, you're wasting everyone's time. Um, even, even when it came to boxing sparring, uh, my first bar, I, I lived with a superstar called Sang Tianoi. He was the, he was the man. He was, the, he fought Deckers and Danny Bill and everybody. And then I'm um, just having to be the, the camp that I was at. 
and then our first boxing spa. So instead of wearing your tens or your sixteens, you wear eighteen. So they're super big. They're like big pillows. Yes. And then the first minute, I'm I'm, I'm going about fifty percent, and then I'm halfway through, he stops around and said, "Listen, if you're not going to go hundred percent, get out." You're wasting my time. Yeah. Because like, you, you, you can't sharpen him up like you, that. You're either, you? either going 100% or or get out. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> okay, sure. And then just wars. Every every time we put the boxing gloves on, it's just um, as hard as you can, trying to kill each other. It's, uh definitely makes it more realistic, but uh, very scary, especially when you're fighting that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, to put into context, was this guy a multi-level world champion at the oh, time? Yeah, he's, he's a man. He, he, was, uh, he was known as like the Thailand killer. So if any Westerners... Um, started making a promising career. Uh, the, the promoter would send Sentin in to, to get the... Well, back then, uh, with the culture, um, uh, they didn't want Westerners. A lot of the camps didn't want Westerners in their gym because uh, it, it was their sport. And if they thought if they taught the Westerners their style, then the, test, the Westerners would eventually start beating the ties at their own sport. So yeah. they were very... very um, Held back, I, 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 hold back. isolated, and and very. This is Distance, us as you yeah, to stay yeah. away. We don't want you in our gym. Um, uh, and then because they're so proud of their sport too, the last thing they want to do is, is lose to the Western influence. So uh, yeah, I was very lucky to be accepted in the camp. The worst, the first Western ever that they accepted. Um, and then yeah, they they taught me everything they 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 could to become as strong and as uh, and because uh, what happened was. Instead of paying gym fees, uh, we had a, an agreement where, very Thai style. So I trained twice a day, get fed twice a day, had somewhere to sleep, had accommodation. And then in return, they get 50% of my prize money. Right. So, okay. so the more that I win, the more they, they get in return. So they're obviously wanting you to get better and better and better because they obviously want more money for keeping yeah, that, you. That, that's how it works with all the fighters in Thailand. So all, all the Thais anyway. So that they get 50%. So... And then they, they push people up, whoop, and then that's how they generate. And then if you've got 10 fighters in the gym, you're getting 50% off all the 10 fighters. Um, it's, 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 but now, uh, so I got there in 96, and then in 98, the, the economy crashed. And then all the, the prize money dropped, and people weren't going to the fights as much because they couldn't afford it. And then um, and then with the Western influence, they could, if they knew if they get Western students in, all of a sudden they could start charging fees and start making money and start making yeah, income. Yeah, 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 Besides yeah. the fighting as well. So and, and obviously because you are becoming more and more uh, well-known in, in Australia as an Australian fighting over there, the, the sport's grown in this country as a byproduct of that anyway. So obviously that, there's more opportunity for them to get more students into their gyms. So as, as usually that. back then, uh, majority of the, the Westerners would come for a month, uh, have a fight, then go home. Uh, I was the first Westerner in probably history, to, to live in the camp uh, full-time for four years straight. Uh, and then, uh, so I sort of started a new sort of era where people go long-term now. They they, they book their one-way ticket and they might stay a year, two years, three years. Um, but, but in the old days, it was unheard of to someone to stay full-time and, and, and live on the circuit and just uh, live for the prize money. So, I mean, I mean, just to give people a context, what kind of when you first when you what was the prize money in Australia when you when you were fighting here, and what was the prize money in in, in Thailand when you moved over there? Oh, uh, not not much. Um, uh, when I, my first few fights, I was fighting for fifty dollars a fight, um, and but then you change it to baht, and then you fifty dollars. Yeah, and then um, but you could survive because a meal was only one dollar, a coke was thirty cents. Um, you could you could. Yeah, the, the, if, if you live like a Thai, you could live long term. Um, uh, like a plate of rice was 20 baht, yet uh, a cheeseburger might be f- 350 or 400 baht. 
So it's either live like a tie or, or if you want to waste your money and then not have longevity. So, yeah, you just got to go old school. Um, yeah. So, so how, how much were you involved in Thai culture then in in Australia before, and understand understand the understanding of the Thai culture before you even went to Thailand? Or didn't or did you understand zero about it kind of thing? Uh, I have a Thai sponsor that sponsored me for approximately two years before I left. Yeah. So um, every day I'd go to his restaurant and his name is Richard that owns the Bunchu in Broadbeach. Yeah. Um, so I'd sit in the kitchen, he'd prepare the chicken skewers and prepare the, and then we just talk about Thailand, about this, uh, this, uh, imaginary land where yeah, it's very hardcore and training five, four or five hours a day and sleeping on the floor and, uh, eating rice and, um, very, uh, primitive, um, existence, no furniture, um, and then surviving off pride, uh, fighting, so it's like this sounds like the, the heaven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I gotta it, get there. I gotta get there. This is your dream. And then uh, <laughs> I could say Sawadee Cup. That was about it. And then uh, once I arrived in Bangkok, uh, no one in my area could speak English, and there was no Westerners ever. Um, I was the only Westerner in my whole area, so I go months at a time before I see another white person. And then um, got to the stage where I go to the shops, and and kids would just stop and and pull on their mum's jacket and just. And point, just point, point yeah, point, it was yeah. like oh, I stood out like a sore thumb. But then I, I got weird because uh, after four years, when I came home, I just blended in with, it, and then no one was giving me any attention anymore. It's like oh, I'm not the guy anymore. I look like everyone else. But when I was there, I, I was I'd thrive off it because. Um, and then once I started learning the language, um, I got to the stage where, at the first week or so, I was all hand signals, like hungry, sleepy, shower. And then I said, oh, I gotta learn. I got, I can't live like yeah, this. Yeah, I gotta, yeah. so I start asking questions. All right. Uh, what's this? Uh, what's this? Uh, what's this? Um, and then I try and learn five words a day. And then at night time, I go over those five words, five words, five. Next day, all right, new five words. New five words. All right. Yeah. What's this? This, 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 this. And then eventually they started teaching me sentences where, um, they sent me to the shop and, um, uh, I want one bag of ice. Uh, donga nam kang nung tung. And then I say that all the way yeah, down the street yeah, yeah. and all of a sudden I got a sentence now. So now yeah. I can change the ice to rice or something and then I, I, I got that ones down and then within six months all of a sudden I can basically get away yeah, by yeah. myself without having to use um, a translator. So how long do you reckon it was until you became fluent? Uh, about a year, a year and enough to hold my own. And then, um, and then they, they used to play the music all the time. So you start working out what was the hit songs. So I'd go to the music store and I'd buy the the famous um, CD at the time, and then I press play, listen, and then pause, and then, then I'd write in my book in English. So pom p o m dongan d o n g, and then I'd memorize the song, and then we go to karaoke bars, and I'd be the only white guy in the in the, in the <laughs> there'd, there'd be like a thousand people all there on the dance floor and stuff. And yeah, I'd, I'd ask to put my request in. Yeah, yeah, and sort of look at me all weird. And then um, when I, I called up and I did my song, and there'd be no one on the dance floor. And then I start, I start hitting the notes, and then slowly one person, two people, four people. That's when the, dance, <laughs> the dance floor would be full. Everyone was bumping yeah. and driving. Did you ever think at the time maybe I should have a music career rather than rather that, that than was, a fighting? That was career. Plan B. That was, if, uh, <laughs> once I retired, I was, I was thinking, oh, I should get into this because then I, I'd finish my song, and the guy that was hosting the karaoke was like, <laughs> "Do you know any more songs?" I was like, "Mate, I know the whole album." Yeah, yeah, then, then I yeah, I get like two or three in a row. It was it was insane. It was so much fun. And then everyone's like literally like you. Yeah, get John to John to give us a verse on yeah. the podcast. Or uh, <laughs> <coughs> let's go, let's go. <coughs> this is the first time. Uh, can I just say before you start? This is the first time John Wayne Parr's ever dropped 
I, I think all the time. I think all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. This on the pod, this, not on the this, podcast, this, you don't. And not on this one. <laughs> Go on, let's uh, go. Um, uh, sing dirty okay to jog by. Sing dirty okay jai tung lock roo. Sing dirty okay to kid to hey lu gone kid gone to jog chai Yeah. Oh, touch that's right. That's good. That is fucking quality. Obviously, um, the 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 songs are very deep too. So there's there's one where he sings about university. Yeah. And then uh, this this parents they save up all their money. The kid finishes high school, goes to university, learns amazingly, gets his diploma, comes out, and there's there's no work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he goes. The only thing I learned from university was how to write neatly. Yeah, besides yeah, yeah. that, um, they're picking up kids that are working full time and kids that have been on the scene. But I've got this plan. But at the end of the day, I still can't get work. Yeah, and then yeah. I'm, I've, I've spent all this money and I'm back at Macca's again. Whereas other kids been on the farm and he's learned the trade and he knows yeah. all the tools. And they're going to hire him before they're going to hire me. It's yeah, like, whoa, that's pretty crazy. That's a pretty good song. Yeah, it's just yeah, like, man. it's like oh, the old the old heartstrings. Yeah, but the, 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 honestly, like do. You, Seeing that, seeing that much struggle, c- going from Australia where life is abundant here, right? Like life's pretty good. Like let's look yes. at where we're living. It's very good. We're so so abundant. I just lived lucky. on the floor for four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I know exactly. I, I know what, what I'm saying. The what? funny thing is, because uh, you live in uh, such like, like a primitive um, sort of existence over there, um, sleeping on a wooden floor, and then you sort of put a, 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 a blanket down to. to as your as your bed, that that was the only cushioning between the wood and you was like another um, blanket, and then um, and everyone's happy and everyone's joking and everyone's joking around, and then you hit Australia, and then they got beds and couches and big TVs and cars and they're miserable. Yeah. How do people know money be so happy and people with money? So what do you th- what do you think the reason is? Mm, I have no idea. I wish I knew the answer to that one, but um. Uh, they, this is before phones too. So, so we used to because because Thais are meant to be the happiest people that you'd ever sure. meet. Um, every every week would would find a, a form of way to entertain ourselves. So you might get a plank of wood, you turn that onto its edge, and now it becomes a, a a ping pong um net, and you're playing ping pong for a week over a, just a board instead of a table. Yeah, and then next week you might have two pieces. Uh, you might get a couple of things of clay. You bang it on the ground, and they get one, and they try and bang it on top of your clay. If they get it, they keep it, keep it. Um, you, or card games, or just uh, any f- form of entertainment, and then just just uh, happiness. It's just it's playing kicking the soccer ball around uh, in between training. It's just uh, it's just uh, I don't know. I think we have such a so such an easy, easy lifestyle here in Australia that it becomes too. Um, we're so connected, we're disconnected. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, was it hard for you then after you've been after you've been there for a certain amount of time to come back to Australia? Was it hard for you to hard so, so for you to adjust? So easy, so easy. Uh, and then sleeping on a wooden floor, you learn to um, strive to be successful because you don't want to live on that wooden floor. After four years, it's like oh, I got to I got to win. I got to train. I got to do this. I got to do that. Because, um, so is it a case of like if you win, you get a bed? Is that kind of what, what it's structured as, or you all live on the floor? All live on the floor. Yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just the way it is. But at the same time, um, you you know it eventually that uh, you want to try and be a, a star. So, um, yeah, I know it's it's just weird. It's just uh, how long was it over there, John? How how long were you over there before you thought to yourself, Do you know what, I can be a star in Thailand. 
Oh no, uh, uh, I won my first nine fight straight. So uh, uh, it wasn't long before uh, I was the very first Western to make the the front cover of their Muay Thai magazines. They're very yeah, yeah, they're yeah. very popular magazine over there. I made the front covers and I make them the newspapers. There's a um, because it's a national sport. There's a, a newspaper that comes out every single day. Yeah. So um, making the, the the pages and little scriptures and interviews and um, and because there wasn't many Westerners there, too, it was really easy to shine. Because uh, you're the, the white guy doing their sport, and um, dedicated my life to becoming a white tie, a white version of of, of them. So uh, yeah, they accepted me really fast. There was no racism, there was no nothing. They 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 um, uh, embraced me because uh, I was trying to do my best version of learning the language and learning the yeah, sport yeah, yeah. and they learning the culture you. and and um, doing everything properly, like wine before I climbed the ropes and 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 praying to the to the sculptures or whatever that wherever they need to do. Um, just really cementing yourself in their culture so that they knew, they knew that you respected their art. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, and then they appreciate you. Might not get it right right every time, but at least you because you're trying to make an effort. They they can see that you're trying. So um, so they take me under the wings, and then uh, if we had a big promotion, whether it be a WBA world title fight or something, and then we'd have to go to certain areas of Bank Thailand. Um, we catch buses for like hours at a time and rock up and then because we're all isolated in a hotel all of a sudden you start making friends and everyone recognises you from the TV and yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone would come to my room I've got the world boxing champion in my room and I've got another three or four different other fighters and trainers in my room we're all hanging out and it's like how the hell does this happen and this is insane this is so cool um, yeah just to be just because I was trying to be one of them they just um, yeah they, they just respected you yeah, in, for inherently sure. because you're just trying to you're 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 just trying to be the best version of yourself in oh, that for time. Sure. For sure, for sure. Talk me through a day, John, in in terms of like training. Like, talk me through a ho- how how your whole day looked like on an average day in Thailand. Um, so, uh, you wake up about uh five. You're on the road by about five thirty. You run for an hour. Uh, you get back to the gym. Um, yeah, 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 you. you, you Hand wraps on your shadow box for a couple of rounds. Uh, you might do the the bag for um, so that five minute rounds. So you might yeah. do 20, 20 rounds on the bag, twenty five minute rounds on the bag, and then you get caught up the pads. And you might do three to five rounds on the on the pads in the morning. Um, you might do a little uh, like uh, sparring just 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 to go through the motions and getting the the muscle memory, and then you finish up with a uh, uh, fifty kicks each leg, maybe three hundred sets of knees on the bag. Um, you sit ups, you push ups, all that sort of stuff. Um, you have a shower, you sit on the floor, you have your breakfast, uh, and then you're forced to, to to sleep during the day. So you've got energy again for the afternoon. So then afternoon so you, starts. You have to change your whole body clock for that then. I oh, know that's easy. You're so tired from because you've just spent your, all your pennies in the morning session that you're yeah, pretty yeah. exhausted. So it's pretty quite easy to just to chill. And then because it's so hot as well, it's forty forty five degrees. So um, you got a, a whirly fan going off. There's no aircon. Um, and then afternoon, I think we started about three, well, so it's still 40 degrees. Yeah. Run for another six, seven Ks. Um, come back, you shadow again, uh, and maybe another 20, 30 rounds in the bag. And then you get caught up for pads. And then when it's close to fight time, you might do, uh, five fives on the tie pads. And then, so you do every round, you start the round with, uh, 
10 kicks each side, nice and fast and strong. Boom, boom, yeah, boom, yeah, boom, yeah. boom. You do again, 10 kicks again in the middle, and you do the last 30 seconds, another 10 kicks either side. Um, that's every round. And then in between those 10 10s, every time, um, every kick after that has to be a double. So you might go one, two, double kick, one, two, hook, double kick, one, two, three, four, double kick. So, and then, all right, and the trainer will be on the side watching the clock. All right, halfway, all right, 10 10s, double, 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 and you got you got to walk in, walk forward, non-stop. You got to be aggressive. You got to hit as hard. Yeah, because there's no such thing as being defensive in time boxing, is yeah, there? Really? No, no. You just got to go. You got to be relentless, haven't yeah. you? And then um, you might do two or three rounds on the boxing pads after the tie pads, and then uh, twice a week we do the the hundred percent sparring with the eighteen ounce gloves on. Uh, then you clinch for half an hour. Uh, the uh, grappling with knees. So and that was death because the uh, like a, yeah, like I was draining. in the um, in the camp with the champion Sanctanoi. Uh, he was the the killer. So every thirty seconds, I'm on the ground, uh, and and it took about a year or so before I started because they never they don't teach you either. So you got to learn by feeling. All right, if he does that, I got to do this. If he does this, I got to counter with this. What better person to learn off than learn off the world champion? I mean, yes. what an education that is. No, it sucked. There was no there sucked ass. And then uh, and then you finish up with your your fifty kicks each leg, your three hundred sets of knees again. Um, you more more sit ups, more push ups. Oh, so, so, sorry. So uh, afternoon, we'd skip for half an hour with a big thick rope. That was nice and chunky. The leather ones on barefoot on concrete for half an hour, um, six days a week. And then we do all our training, and then we'd run. So yeah, so then so ch- morning ch- morning was three hours, and afternoon was three and a half hours, uh, and that was six days a week. And we get Sundays off. So, Mate, you cannot do anything on a Sunday after yeah. that. You're totally fucked, right? Well, sometimes uh, the trainers would get this uh, mindset where, all right, let's start going seven days a week. So if you do seven days a week, four or five weeks in a row, it is just death. And you can't argue with them too because they're the bosses. So you can't say, hey, uh, any chance I have a day off? Yeah. Like, no. And if you compare... <laughs> you got to train harder. If you compare that to like like the the Western world where where lads are doing their six mile run in the morning, they'll do they'll do that they'll eat right and then they'll they'll do some light pad work for maybe like eight to ten rounds and then they'll do some sparring maybe eight rounds. That's kind of a Westerners kind of the way that Western, especially in the boxing game, that they're probably doing it. That's nothing compared to what you're you're describing. You're yeah. describing six and a half hours a day of pure utter hell. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? That's that's yes. because. Because after after you've done after you've done that first run, it's beyond enjoyable. Like you know what I mean? Oh, no, the runs easy. The runs are warm up. The runs are warm up. Yeah. Uh, but more so, uh, you need one day a week to recover. And because if you go on seven days a week for multiple week, weeks in a row, um, you hit Sunday. You train through Sunday. Then Monday comes, and you just know you got a whole week ahead of you again with just pure intensity. Just, just just looking at your eyes now, John, the way you talk about it and the way that your eyes scrunch up when you talk about it, it just tells me how <laughs> fucking hard that is. Oh, it's because because, it's because I, c- I can see it in your face, yeah. man. Like, even you thinking about it. Like, it's fucking hard, man. What you what you did for fucking years yeah. is, is phenomenal, mate. I because I'm take, I, I take it you, didn't, you, you weren't getting supplementation or, any, or, or anything else. It was just literally like basic food and training your ass off on oh, water. Rice, rice for breakfast, rice for, rice for dinner. So plenty of carbs, but uh, but not much protein. And, no? and then push, push, push carbs. Eat, 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 eat. Get as get as as much as in as you can. And then, um, how is your body recovering from all that work with with not a lot of protein? Then uh, you just do it. You just do it. You still have no choice. And then, uh, yeah, the tires are very uh, caveman. Like I said, so the education isn't the best when it comes to recovery and 
and um, nutrition. Yeah. So it's just uh, train harder, train harder, train harder. Um, yeah, that one day off is just uh, so beneficial for the body. But yeah, when you're doing seven days, uh, ha- ha- have you have you seen like Thai top Thai fighters have to quit because they're just so drained because of how much training their body's doing? Oh, they um, some of them just run away. So they'll be in the middle of the night, they'll pack all their shit, and they'll, they'll leave in the morning, and then um, they're just gone. You've never seen them again. But they can't go to another gym or, or train because uh, they own your rights. Once you, once you train with me, and you're my fighter, so you can't go to another gym in, like in Australia where oh, really? the top gyms. No, no, no. no, no you I, can't I, do that. I own your soul. So, uh, for instance, I, I was lucky I was sponsored, and being a Westerner definitely helps. But uh, let's say... Uh, I'm John Wayne Pa, a Bunchu gym. And then, so if I go to, let's say, Fairtex, um, I can't just be John Wayne Fairtex because Bunchu owns my, my, um, image and my, and Fairtex would have to buy, buy me off my boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't get the money, the boss does. So it's, it's just basically like slavery. Um, like, you're like an animal, you're like a horse. Yeah. So let's say you, you, you start training at my gym. I, I spend all this money feeding you, looking after you, yeah, 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 getting yeah, yeah. everything right. You getting strong. You become a star. I've spent years uh, honing you your skills, making you who, who you become, getting your profile up. And then once you become a star, and then if this guy wants you, um, they might offer me five hundred thousand or, or a million baht. Let's say a million baht. Yeah. yeah. So I, I get that money. You don't get the money. I get the money because I'm the one that that, that spent all the money making you who you are. So uh, I've seen multiple times where. Guys would be training in the gym, and then we'd finish up for breakfast, and then as we're having a sleep, someone would come in, hey, hey, let's say his name's Dang. Hey, Dang, get re- go pack your stuff. Uh, you just got bought. Um, some, another gym's bought your rights now, so you, you've you got to go straight away. He's like, all right, so he packs his stuff, and then see you guys. And now he becomes the property of another camp now. Yeah, just like that, boom. And it, fuck yeah. it's amazing, it's amazing, isn't it? And we're talking, we're talking about this was happening in 1996, so yeah, we're not it, talking long ago, and it, it still happens now, right? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just, um, yeah, yeah, it's like slavery. But um, is it good? If if it might be more beneficial, you might make more money, you might have better living conditions, or whatever else. But uh, yeah, there's no. See you later, fellas. It's just like, oh, all right, I've got to go. Bye. And it's just, it's just widely accepted that that's how life is there. Yeah, that's your job. Yeah, that's okay now. <laughs> but um, and, and another thing. So let's say, uh, majority of the time would be in the camp. You hear a knock on the gate, and then there'd be a uh, a mother and father, and then they got their seven year old son, and then, and then the the camp, the camp owner would come out and say, "Oh, I'm just wondering, we're having a hard time financially, looking after our little guy. Um, would you please accept him to your camp to become a fighter?" So the boss would look him up and down, feel his little arms. Mm. All right, sure. So then um, the little kid would buy his parents. And then they give him his bag, like three shirts and a couple of pairs of shorts and undies. And then um, they'd, they'd walk away. And then now that kid becomes property of the camp. And he might not see his parents again for the next 10 years. He just becomes, you're now one of us. So then the other fighters in the camp now become his surrogate uh, brothers. And then the camp owners become his uh, surrogate parents. So really, yeah, mate, it's, that's and, and wild. Yeah, and he's seven years old. So all right, you're going to be a fighter now. I don't know how to fight. You're going to learn. So all right, go and do a 10k run. So I don't know how. Off you go. You got no choice. And then uh, the first week, they just cry and cry because they're separated from their parents. And it's like you're right, you'll be right. 
shush. <laughs> and then um, slowly, slowly teaching him some skills. And then a, a month or so later, he's having his first fight. And then uh, if it's a good camp, so even from their very first fight, they get a little bit of prize money. Let it, would it be 50 bucks or 20 bucks or something? And if it's a, if it's a good camp, um, they'll, they'll take their prize money and they'll put the prize money away. And then eventually... Uh, that little boy will pay for his own education. He'll buy his own books. He'll buy his own school clothes. He'll buy his own um, um, school fees. And then so he'll train two hours, three hours in the morning, um, have a shower, cook some breakfast, go to school, um, come back from school, quickly take his clothes off, put his training gear on, and then he goes for a run. As soon as he gets back in the door, and then he's so they, are, so they actually they actually get put these kids into education as well, then so yeah. they can actually learn some, as well. Some the good camps do, yes. The, some other camps will education's frowned upon. Well, it's not frowned upon, but it's just uh, uh, it means if he's at school, he can't train as hard for Thai boxing, and we want him to be a Thai boxer, so we won't worry, we won't worry about the school. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. but it's a good camp though, and then so he trains two three hours in the morning, goes to school all day, soon straight away he trains for another three hours, soon he gets home. Um, after training, quickly have a shower, have some dinner, do whatever homework he's been given, go to bed, and next day he starts again. And then on the weekends, he has to train harder because he doesn't, doesn't have to go to school. So then it's um, even more crazy. So And then he have a fire, get a little bit of prize money. He might The, the owner of the camp might give him a, a, a little bit so he can buy some like sweets yeah, 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 or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. and buy some... Um, or whatever, but that that is a that is a real baptism of fire for a young kid, you know. Oh, they become little adults um, very fast. Very fast. Yeah, they they have to learn to survive for themselves. Have you have you seen one of these kids that's been dropped off where you've physically seen them dropped off, and then that kid's gone on to become a world champion years and years later down the track? Mm, not a world champ. Oh, uh, we had one kid in our camp who was ten years old with a hundred fights. So so sometimes he'd fight Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. And then in between, so he's working his cardio as he's fighting. So the other days off, he's sort of recovering from the bruise and stuff. But because they're young, they don't hurt each other quite as bad. And once they hit puberty, then they start hitting harder, and then there's more damage. So then they might only fight uh, once every two weeks or three weeks after that. Um, but the more they fight, the more um, experience they get, and the more prize money they make. So I l- uh, the the thing that I like about Muay Thai in the way that you describe it is the fact that. For, it's not like it's not like boxing where you go in there and you could be in the gym like two or three years before you have an amateur fight. It's like you're fighting the same month that you started the gym. And this kid, this kid, oh, it don't... depends how fast they learn. If it's a fast learner, the faster they get in there, and then you're learning on the job. Um, you know that it hurts. So if you get smashed, if you get smashed legs or smashed body, um, you you soon learn defense because you don't want to get kicked in the leg or you don't want to get elbowed in the face again. Um, you must have seen some savage knockouts in Thailand. Oh yeah, all, all the time. Uh, not just Thailand, just around the world. Um, fighting is rather brutal. <laughs> so so you, you definitely, you definitely learn. But uh, even even myself, I know that if I get smashed in, in something's, I know what I did wrong. So then um, I can I can tell you, do I'm black and blue in the face? Do this, 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 and this when you fight until you learn. You but, don't know but, fuck all. But you just you just nod your head. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. But it doesn't sink in until yeah. it happens to you. And it's like ah, now I understand what you were saying about using your blocks and using your range. Yeah. Everyone can tell you to keep your right hand up, and oh, t- for sure. but, but then if you as soon as you drop it and you get clipped by someone, that's when you know that shit's just about to get serious. Do you yes. know what I'm saying? Like you need to learn that yourself, and that's only learned through through being in there and through the experience of the game yes. you ain't gonna learn that by just fucking yeah. being told it oh yeah <laughs> do you know what I'm saying yeah, it's I'm not a, it's different it's a different waiting level. in the bag there's no urgency but when you're in the ring and someone's trying to pushing you, you um, yeah. 
evil of things towards you, and uh, you learn very quickly. And you want to be able to capitalize on that too, to make them make the mistakes, so you can count on, on them. And not only that, you're 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 in a country where most of these young lads are cold killers, man. They're they're, they're trained to be cold killers. They're not yeah. they're, they're not they're not in there to f- to fuck around. These boys have been training six and a half hours a day, eating rice. They're hungry. They're they're not only hungry physically. They're hungry mentally and emotionally to to do this for their families. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, plus the ties. Um, a little bit further upon now, but back in the day, there was a. So even you, even if you're six or seven years old, um, your first fight's five rounds with elbows. So there's no yeah, modified. Yeah, yeah. There's no amateur. It's straight away. It, there's only one rule set: five rounds elbows, and then it's five rounds. And then they have what's known as round six. So if you, if you get if you dog it or you cower away or you you don't fight a hundred percent, and then um, after the fight you get back to the camp, and then the the trainer um, he might start slapping you around in the back room and um, he'll make the kid fear for his life. So who are you going to be afraid of? You're going to be afraid of me or your opponent? Yeah. And then the little kid's like ah, ah, bawling his eyes out, fearing for his life because that's where he lives. And, so, and then um, you have to. You can't be you can't be afraid of your opponent because when you get back, if you get round six, it's like ah. So yeah, and round six sounds sounds to me worse. And, and, and there's no rules round, in round the six. Other five round f- round first five rounds is a referee with doctors. Round six, there could be. They actually have doctors in Thailand that, that sit inside. I didn't think they did that. I thought it was just all like just have a go and get in, and if something happens to you, they just cut you off out the back. <laughs> how do you get how do you get put together after elbows? Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. So doctors, yeah, stitches. Fucking, they just stitch on the side. Yeah, fucking hell. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It's crazy, mate. Uh, it's, it's normal. Ah, uh, fuck yeah, it. Yeah, for me, it's normal. What, how many, st- uh, just to break it down, you've had 346 three, stitches in yes. your entire career. Um, So, usually you pick up like 10, 20. So, so my first three, my first uh, stitches entirely, and I got eight. And then a couple of fights later, I got another uh, 21. And then I came back to Australia, and then I had a, a fight against an English gentleman, and he cut me five cuts, and ended up getting fifty-four stitches in one fight. Fucking hell! So between the the eight, the twenty-one, and the fifty-four, so I had eighty plus stitches in um, three three different fights. So they accumulate rather fast. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> and I tell you now, what I'll do is I'll in in the description to this podcast, I'll link. The image that you yeah. shared on Instagram of of all the k- stitches. So that's a hypothetical. That's a picture of a hypothetical if I happen to have all the stitches at once. Yeah. So but there, there was a, a famous hockey player before they invented hockey masks. Um, uh, uh, yeah, so he was blocking a lot of the uh, goalie pucks with his face. <laughs> yeah. And then um, the, the Time magazine did a, a hypothetical of he had all the months. And then when I seen his picture, I said, oh, that's amazing. I've got to do something similar to that. And then a friend of mine worked for the magazine, and and they they did it for me with their um, photoshopping skills. And they and they and, and then you just told them exactly where they all were. Yeah, yeah, fuck, yeah. It, it look it looks mad. Yeah. I tell you now, fuck. Yeah, Joe, Joe Rogan did a special on it as well. He, he talked about it on one of his podcast ones. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty cool. It's very. Um, so I, I usually get my stitches in sets of fives or tens, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, and then it's a lot easier to to keep a track of. <laughs> and then uh, end up with uh, my last. Fight. I was on three forty, and then I fought in Japan August two thousand nineteen. And then um, the doctor couldn't speak English, so he gave me six. And I'm like, fuck, now that's going to mess up my whole tally because <laughs> yeah, I wanted I wanted in, in sets of five, so yeah. it's easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
um, but I'm very fortunate that it's not uh, at three fifty yet because I think three fifty be way too many. <laughs> <laughs> John, mate, I tell you now, right at three forty six, you you, yeah. you you you've done you you've done your fair you've done your fair share. Yeah. Talk to me about going into your first world title in Thailand mm-hmm. and kind of like the the lead up to that and and how that kind of felt because obviously that was your first opportunity to really showcase what you did not only on world level but show the people back home in Australia like how far you'd come as a fighter oh no I've been doing heaps of stuff before that so so um I had about 50 odd fights I already I just won a world title here on the Gold Coast um in October uh against a gentleman called Scott Bannon um I stopped him in the second round with the need of the body um and then the opportunity came to fight on the King's birthday um year 2000 yeah. So, so I I rewind a little bit. So back in '97, so I won my first nine fights straight, and yeah. then um, the promoter put me up against my first A class tie, and then um, he was a former champion and superstar and world renowned, uh, Thailand renowned, and yeah, yeah. Um, he cut me twenty one stitches, and the fight was stopped round three. Too much blood, too much gruesome, and then. Uh, year two thousand came, had the opportunity to fight on the uh, promotion called the King's Birthday. It's a massive day in time. Uh, so, so if anyone's familiar with the movie Kickboxer, um, at the start of the movie, Van Damme kicks uh, uh, Dennis Alexio in the park. And they're doing parks, and he's ah, oh, none of that Tim Tat shit. Da, da, da. So you know the movie, you know the phrase. And then um, in that, I got the fight in that park on four different occasions. Um, so on the fifth of December every year is the king's birthday, and then people come from all around Thailand to celebrate the king, and they have fireworks, and there's all these different celebrations going around in the park, and they they put a ring in the middle. Hundred odd thousand people in the center, and then um, everyone celebrates with the 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 best ten ties versus the best ten westerners, and then um, this is my third time on it. So at the Wayne, I've come to the Wayne. I was supposed to fight another gentleman called uh, Duan Izan, and then I rocked up. And then the Duan, I, I was seventy two, I think, and then my opponent only came in at like uh, seventy seventy point five. And the promoter's like, "Oh, this isn't good. You're you're you're." Your opponent's not up to scratch. It doesn't seem to be at that same category. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 um, yeah. There's a famous uh, Japanese um, fighter named Masato. He, he was supposed to fight Orono. But then or- uh, Masato heard that Orono possibly has hepatitis. Um, so he didn't want to fight him in case he got cut and got um, the disease. So um, the promoter's like, all right, so tomorrow you're supposed to fight Duan Azan, but because Masato's not going to fight Orono, Orono needs an opponent, so I'm going to put you with Orono tomorrow instead. And then he cut me 21 stitches, and he was like the most painfulest tie I've ever fought at that stage. It's like, oh, no. And then, then the first guy I was fighting was a right-hander, and then uh, Orono was a southpaw. So I got 24 yeah. hours to completely change my game plan and uh, yeah. fight style, and oh, no, this sucks. Um, so I ring my the, my trainer. It's like, oh, no, they've just changed my opponent. What am I going to do? I said, oh, that's right. Uh, I've got a game plan. I, I'll, I'll tell you tomorrow. I, I think this is going to be very effective. It's like, tomorrow, why can't you tell me now? Oh, I'll let you sleep tonight. I don't want you doing your heating. Just, just don't worry about it. So the next morning came, uh, uh, day of the fight. It's like, oh, what's this game plan? All right, so you know how you usually fight uh, orthodox with your left hand forward? <laughs> so tomorrow we're going to change you to southpaw, so you're going to fight the other way. It's like, oh, that's not a good game plan. <laughs> I've never fought that style before. I've never yeah, fought yeah. backwards. So oh, you'll be fine. You'll be, no worries. You'll pick it up. And then um, from the moment he told me until I got to the the park, I just did my head in, just non-stop. So I was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to fight Sapor. Um, 
Yeah. Had you never had you never fought Southpaw up until that point ever? Yeah, never. You'd always stay there. And then yeah, so the whole time I'm thinking, I can't do this, I can't do this, I'm gonna die. He's a Southpaw, he's a naturally Southpaw, he's gonna destroy me. And then um I'm and then even doing my doing my hands, getting ready, getting warmed up, I'm just thinking, Oh no, what am I gonna do? This sucks. I might go Southpaw for the first round, if it's not working, I just go back to Orthodox. I just I don't think I can do it. And then um the the fight started Started in Southpaw, and then everything I threw started landing. Like, oh shit, it's working! To so end up saying Southpaw for the whole five rounds, and then I uh, end up winning um, quite convincingly uh, every round. And then um, yeah, so, then, then I got awarded my belt in front of a hundred thousand people live on Thai TV, uh, which was uh, so crazy. So I went from being a zero world champ to a two-time world champ all in three-month period. I was like, holy shit, this is amazing! And plus, I, I got revenge on the Thai that previously beaten me. Plus, I did it on. TV and, and against um, and the biggest promotion of the year. It was like such a uh, surreal, just, surreal moment. Just meant yeah. the world to you. Oh, so crazy! But do, do you think do you think you'd built that up? You'd built it up to be so difficult in your mind before the fight that when you actually got in there, it was actually easier for you. No, because it was freaking terrifying. <laughs> Unless you've fought in Southport or trained Southport, and not to, not even have a training session in Southport. It's just like, all right, this is what you're gonna do. It's like holy shit. So um I mean I mean I think I, th- I think just walking out in front of 100,000 fucking tires is is a, is Well, a f- that's another thing. So I did um I fought my first king's birthday 97. And then uh usually with the Thai boxing we do a little dance at the start to uh, ask permission from the gods uh and then it's a stretch and then everything else to to warm the body, limber up and to take your mind to a different place before um competing. Yeah, and then um, as I'm walking around the ring, just my legs went weak, and then I, I oh, it's just um the because when you look over the ring, it's just ocean. You can't see all you see is heads. Hundred thousand people. Yeah, yeah every yeah, way yeah. you look is just like an ocean of people. It's like holy crap, and then um end up burning out in the last round. I, I went too hard too early, and end up guessing, end up just getting beaten my first king's birthday, and then uh ninety nine, wow, I got the opportunity to do it again. And then uh, f- uh, this time I had time to mentally prepare. All right, I'm walking in 100,000. This time I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not going to shit myself. I'm going to go out there and just uh, ab- absorb it. So when I walked out, take a couple of big breaths and just uh, have a look at, over the ocean, the heads again. So, all right, I got this, I got this. And then um, ended up having the best fight ever. Ended up destroying the, the tie bloke. And then um, they had 10, 10 Westerners for 10 ties. And I, I was the only Westerner to win. It's like, oh, this is awesome. And then the, yeah, the, a year later, fighting Orono, um, this time, same deal again. Not only 100,000 people, now I'm fighting the star again. And then um, just tried to absorb the moment and take it in. And then I uh, had a brilliant fight again as a Southpaw. And then I got to do it again in 2001. And then uh, this time, it only there was there was little patches right at the back where there wasn't people so, oh, there must be only like 98,000 here today. Jeez, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wonder where everyone is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, no, there's no one here. Um, yeah, so it's 90, 98, 97,000. Jeez, what, what a, what a letdown. <laughs> I was expecting a big crowd. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, once you, and then when you come back home and fight in front of a thousand people, it's like, oh, this is Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause, cause obviously, like, it's, it, I presume like fighting in a casino like the like the star or something like that or anywhere like that. You're only going to fight in maximum like front of like one or two thousand people here, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, at um, Chandler, I was fighting in front of four or five thousand people every time. So even that's it's it's okay. 
But um, in Thailand, they have a lot of uh, outdoor promotions. So the, the, the king's birthday is the biggest with 100 plus thousand. But a lot of times, 20, 30, 60, that, that's just normal. All, all the time you're fighting in front of massive crowds outside. And then um, it's such a good buzz. It's such so much fun. Especially when um, you go to these uh, country places and there's there's hardly any Westerners there too. And uh, you get 60,000 people and you're not expected to win. And then when you do win, you're high-fiving people and people are coming up and they're looking at you with their big big eyes. It's like, yeah. oh. Because you must be a giant over yeah. there. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> but um, just to, to get their appreciation for you doing their sport and to, to, to beat people that are, you're not supposed to beat, um, yeah, you just see you see the appreciation on, on that, especially the young kids and stuff. They come up, yeah, and they, they just want to hang out with you. As, you, as, you, as, you, as, you, as you're getting your hand wraps cut off, and as you're cooling down and getting changed, they just they just want to just be in your presence. It's um, it's very humbling. It's very cool. Yeah, I love that. But what in, when you when you've when you've won those two world titles, two or three world titles, and you and you get to that level, what? What kind of money had you kind of earned as as like a career purse by that point to be able to put some obviously obviously to say that look yeah you're a world champion but like what what have you got to show for it in terms of more beyond the world championship did you have the monetary terms then that you, that you had or what what was to go with that uh, for Orono I got uh, seventy thousand which worked out to be about uh, three and a half thousand dollars and then entire part that's that's like a year's wage probably two years wages so financially. In Thailand, I was a superstar, but uh, come, you'd come back to Australia and transfer that money back into Aussie dollars. It's like, eh, it's not, it's not the so, greatest. So, so really, then, just just to break it, to put it into context, in for, for the for the time and effort you'd put into all that sport, for the lifestyle you'd lived, you're a two or three time world champion at this point, and really, like cash in the bank, you've probably got like between like five and ten thousand dollars. Yeah, but I never did it for money. Yeah, and I've never had this in impression where I was going to be a millionaire I just thought for the the adrenaline and for the excitement just um, uh, every single person eventually we're all going to pass and then doesn't matter how much rich you are you can't take that money with you once you go Yeah. but for my life experiences no one can compare to what I've been able to achieve and to go to different countries and fight in front of 100,000 people for different occasions and like that stuff like even though the money's not the greatest just the 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 memory is priceless. Yeah, you can't you can't put a price on. I know. And have it, uh, just just to think how many memories you've actually got from that time that you oh, spent. Sure. You know what I mean? For sure, for sure. Well, and then um, UFC is massive, and they're making all this money, and they got all this exposure. But uh, yeah, to, do, do you wish? Do you wish you'd 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 been in your prime time when when that was when no, that was no, no. I got, involved I got, in that? Like I just said, um, what what I was able to achieve, especially having the um, going to an, a different country and living in a different country and learning the language and learning the culture and learning the art and then to to thrive and to to win and to to be the guy. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, UFC came came later, and they're all doing their thing now. But yeah, I've 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 poured too much energy into into Muay Thai to to turn my back on it now. So I'm I'm happy where I am. I I want to when I pass, uh, I want to be remembered for what I did to promote the sport and to promote the the next generation of um, hopefully wanting to fulfill and walk in my footsteps. So. Yeah, I love that. I love, I love, I love how heartfelt that is from you as well. Because obviously, and we'll talk, we'll talk a lot more about your gym and what you're doing in terms of bringing fighters through later on. But the, 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 I just think it's such a, 
a, a proud proud thing for you to be able to do to to go to another country to assert your dominance the way you assert your dominance to inspire you know hundreds of hun- tens of thousands yeah. of kids in Thailand by the sounds of it with you, with you, just by just by being the only westerner willing to do the work oh just other westerners wanting to travel to Thailand and to to fill their own destiny and their own legacy and everything else um that they, they look at me as well if he can do it I can do it so, yeah, yeah 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 and then um that's, that that is that is a beautiful thing. Talk talk to me about coming back to when you when you decided to quit Thailand and then come back to Australia full time. Like, Ooh. so was, was 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 that was that was that a hard decision for you to make? Or I had a shin infection, um, so been training, I was getting ready for another fight, and then one morning I woke up and I had like a a golf ball and and uh, uh, swelling under my shin. Yeah, from ankle to my knee was like uh, infected, bright red. And then there was a big lump in the middle of my shin, and then uh, I, it was a little bit sore. I told my trainer, I said, "Oh, something's wrong with my leg." And then he looked at me and goes, "Oh, I know exactly what this is. This is going to hurt. This is going to be rough. Oh, let's go to the we'll go to the hospital right now." So we get to the doctors and we see the nurse. The nurse looks at my leg and she goes, "Oh no, I know this is going to hurt." I said, "Fucking will you guys stop saying it's going to hurt?" Because I'm freaking freaking out right now yeah and I get in the back room and the doctor comes in and he goes oh this is going to hurt it's like fucking stop it already I could get the idea I, I be, know I, it's going to hurt I bet at this point you're yeah. wishing I wish I bet you at this point you're wishing to yourself I wish I'd never learned yeah. the, the, what hurt was in time no, no. so <laughs> so they put my leg on top of this uh, steel grate like it's a, it's a big funnel and they said well, we're going to have to lance it we're going to have to uh, cut the lump to, oh to, to drain the God. blood out of it um, but unfortunately we, we, we can't Local it up because uh, it's so full of fluid the, the local won't work. But um, we have this magic spray. It's uh, very cold. So we'll, we'll spray it, we'll numb it, and then we'll lance it. Ah, whatever they do, do it, do whatever. So all right. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh, pour. We're gonna uh, do the spray on the count of three. But um, prepare yourself because it's very cold. So ready? So so one, two, and then yeah, they didn't even use the spray. They used it as a, a to take my mind off things. Not. And then oh um, yeah, they lance me. And, oh and my god! And then it just this blood just bubbling out of my leg and oh going into this god. thing. And then um, just just looking at you describe this and is then, horrendous. Uh, the, they had the packet full of uh, dressing, and then um, I, I roll it up, and then um, I wasn't allowed the 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 train for two months, and then uh, the doctors. Oh sorry, so I go back home, and then um, the first morning laying in bed. Uh, and then at six in the morning, they hear the kids kicking the pads, rah, 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 for three hours straight. So there's no way I can stay here and not make money for two months when yeah, I'm yeah, out of yeah. fight and listen to the ties. And uh, I think it might be time to go home. So I hobble downstairs and then I see the main trainer and I tell him, um, oh, I think it's time for me to go back to Australia. And then uh, as I'm as I'm halfway through telling him, he's so disgusted with my decision that he turned his back on me and walked away. Because I, I was his one of his main forms of making money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, to have yeah. your cash cow walk out of the gym is very, um, yeah, very bad. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so you were lucky. You were allowed the choice to walk out. I like, know you let you let do whatever you want, but um, just the fact that I was going home again, it's like oh. So yeah, he was a bit pissed. But he, he got better. He it was, it was okay after. It was just the initial initial telling him that was the hard part. And then um, come back to Australia. We opened up a gym. Um, I took a few boxing fights just to make a bit of pocket money here and there. Yeah, uh, yeah, just, yeah. just uh, not. It was only uh, I was two hundred around. So every four, four, four rounds, it was uh, eight hundred bucks. 
So I took a couple of them here and there, here and there, just to, to get some pocket money to survive. And then um, once the leg got started getting better, I started kickboxing again. And then uh, I was very fortunate that from that moment forward, career started taking off. Um, and then... Uh, so this was this when you set up Boonchu then, on yes. the Gold Coast? Yep. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So end of 99, I got back and then um, set up the gym and Mermaid at the start. Yeah. And then was there for about a year or so. And then it started 2002. Um, so, no, sorry. So I won the world title uh, December 5th. Um, year 2000 Yeah And then uh, a friend of mine He was boxing at the time Paul Briggs Yeah So I thought oh, Good fire Good I, fire I, um, I seen him being successful And making the newspapers And no matter what I did I couldn't get nothing No one yeah, cared yeah, yeah. Moitized nothing in Australia Whereas uh, Paul was doing All the stuff boxing And he was getting these Endorsement deals And here's a car And here's this And you're on the TV And here's another interview the fuck I'm doing just as much as he is in the gym why is he getting all this uh, appreciation for what he's doing and I'm getting nothing ah fuck this I might go to boxing as well so um, I made the announcement I'm going to boxing and then I got picked up by uh, Bill Morty who was the number one promoter in Australia at the time Yeah. and then uh, from that moment forward all my fights were on Fox Sports and then um, money was okay it wasn't like what's, great what's okay, what's okay to you oh a thousand bucks two thousand bucks I think the most I made was six thousand uh, and we're talking four or six rounders there for that Oh no, 12s. 12, 12 rounders? 10s, 12s. Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. Um, and, so. and, 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 and I want people to understand that you're training like 8 to 12 weeks for these fights as well, right? Oh, and I had 2001, I had 9 fights in 12 months. Yeah. So, yeah, so pretty much every 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 month almost. Um, yeah, so box for a year. Um, ended up having, I think, and uh, thirteen fights, uh, ten wins, ten knockouts, and then won the Australian boxing title. And then I um, got to the stage where I, I fought one of Jeff Fennings' guys, uh, Ian McLeod. He broke his hand in the first round. Yeah. And then for eleven rounds, he'd move around. He'd hold me for thirty seconds. The referee would break us. He'd move around. He'd hold me for thirty seconds. The referee would break us. Did that for eleven rounds, and then at the end of the fight, he won. I was like, what the fuck? This you're, is you, so shit. Now, this is this is a good point right now. This is this because is. because because uh, I want to drill into how um, rigged boxing can be. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you can beat a kid up in their own backyard for whether whether it's amateur, whether it's three rounds or or whatever, or whether you're a pro, you can beat them up for twelve rounds. Yeah. I mean, I was ringside at, at Jeff Horn Manny Pacquiao and. I I didn't see Jeff Horn land, right? Yep. And he fucking won. Yep. Like he didn't fucking yeah. he, he headbutted him, bro. He headbutted him. He 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 beat he beat, he beat him by headbutted him. Yeah. It's crazy, mate. It's crazy. Like, talk, talk, what's your experience of this? Like, in terms of how how rigged it can be at oh, the highest level. It's just so uh, so Jeff Phoenix got a very um, influential over the judges and the referees. So he, the the other mate. The guy that I was competing against, um, he'd be swinging away, and Jeff would be cheering as if he was smashing me, but he wasn't doing nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, but because Jeff's like so influential, um, that they, they, they must have put him down for winning the rounds. Um, and then, so after just um, twelve rounds of just uh, just just a shit fight, and just to have the old mate win, and just like I was so disheartened, it's like oh screw yeah. this, I'm, no more boxing for me, I'm going back to Muay Thai. Um, and then uh, I was so sick of Australia. It's like, oh, I might, I might see what's happening in America. 
So there was a, a kickboxing forum back in the days, before the Facebook and everything else. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I put a few, there's any trainers in America that want to take on an, an Aussie. And then uh, within half an hour, I get a reply from um, a very famous gym called Master Toddy in Vegas. So uh, he, he buys me my plane ticket. Um, I jump on the next plane back over to America. Uh, I end up living there for 10 months. Uh, and then the first week of being there, I got to all these posters of this girl, and she got all these medals and belts, and um, she was the fighter of the year, and she was this, this superstar. And I got to meet this chick. Who's this chick? I should be here next week. She's right. she's going to fight on the same show as you in a couple weeks' time. And then um, her name was Angie, and she was the most famous female in America at the time. Yeah, yeah. And then um, the, from the very first second that we met, we just locked eyes, and then um, went up sitting across from me to you for like, yeah, like three yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, Beautiful, uh, man. Because um, we were living in the camp and training together and living together and eating together, we just uh, uh, ended up dating pretty much straight away. And then um, not long after, we got married. We got, uh, from the moment we met. And then six months later, we were married, and then... Um, so and then Angie, the, Angie was the biggest female fighter in America in the sport. Yeah, she was like the runner around. She just won the Fighter of the Year 2001. Fucking uh, 2000, 2000, so she won a gold. She won the very first gold medal for America at the Thailand Amateur Games. Um, so, yeah, she was a bit of a big deal. And then um, at that stage, she was making more money than me, prize money-wise. She had more uh, world championship belts than me at the yeah, time as well. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Damn it, this chick's amazing. This is so good. So, uh. Did it intimidate you? <laughs> no, no, no. So then, uh, then the camp that we were at was not so good. It was good, but uh, there was not much opportunity. So we, we moved out. We moved to San Diego together. Got another gym working at another boxing gym. Um, and then the opportunity came 10 months later to, to fight in Australia again for five grand. Um, so, so I flew to Australia, had the fight, won the fight, got my five grand. And then I was going to go back to the States. And, and I can know the five grand doesn't even cover the ticket to get yeah. there and back. Um, so uh, the promoter pays. Oh, the promoter pays, yeah. The promoter yeah, pays yeah. tickets and their accommodation and everything else. So uh, came back to Australia, had the five, got the five grand. I've gone to go, got to Brisbane Airport. Okay, um, got my return ticket. Yeah. They said, oh, where's your return ticket to come back to Australia? I said, oh, I got a return ticket, but it's in America. I said, well, that's not going to help you now. We need to see it now so you have proof of identification that you're going to come back to Australia again. I said, I got it, but it's in America. I said, well, that's not going to help you. Well, what do I do? How do I get to America then? I said, that what you can do now is buy buy a one-way ticket return, and then um, when you get to America, just cash it in and, and then use your other ticket to come back. That's easy enough. Let's do that. Um, how much is that? That's 4500 Oh my god! Fuck! I've only got five, four and a half. Uh, sure, let's do it. So uh, they 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 get this ticket. I give them four and a half grand. Uh, I I get to LA, and then the the immigration officer is like, "All right, when was the last time you were here?" I said, "Well, funny enough, I was here three weeks ago." All right, hey, so where are you living? I'm living in San Diego. Oh, so you admit you're living in San Diego? I said, oh no! And then um, they said, uh, uh. Uh, so yeah, ended up saying, um, no, no. How how long were you here for? I was here for three months. You're not allowed to stay here three months. You're only allowed to stay ninety days. Yeah, three months, ninety days. So they counted from the time I ended to the time I left. Ninety two. Oh my god! You're two days over. We're and gonna, you spent that four and a half. We're going to have to send you back to Australia. You're two days over your visa. Oh god! And this is like uh, like six, seven months after nine eleven. So they're like, oh, you're you're out of here, buddy. It's yeah. Like, no. So then I've got to beg the guy, oh, you can't use that ticket. 
I've got another ticket that's in San Diego. You can't use that ticket. That's a four and a half grand ticket. But I've got another ticket that I could use and I can cash that one. And at first he was like, no, 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 no. And then, um, then eventually he, he seen the sympathy. Please, please, please. So, uh, so I wasn't allowed to see my wife. She was waiting for me on the other side. So they sent someone backwards and forwards because there's no phones back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, so my wife, she was seven months pregnant with our baby girl. So she drove three hours to come and get me. She had to drive three hours to get the other ticket and then drive three hours again to drop the ticket off. Um, all knowing that I was going to get deported and I couldn't get see her and anything else. And then, um, so I'm, uh, once they find out that I've spent two days over, next minute I've got three coppers either side of me. I get handcuffed. I get lived through the airport. I get put in a, ho- a holding room at the airport and then I'm sitting there. And then, uh, after 10 hours, they come into the room. Oh, uh, by law, we have to move you every 10 hours. So they handcuff me again, lead me through the middle of the airport in front of everybody too. So, uh, so nine eleven's happened just uh, a few months prior, and now everyone's looking at me and pointing at me, and I'm the yeah, terrorist, and got to, I'm God. handcuffed, and all these people. Are, it was like, oh, this sucks. And then um, I'm telling the security, "Come on, guys, it's a bit overkill." And they, they said, uh, wouldn't matter if you're a ninety year old lady. It's the same procedure for everybody. So, so yeah. they don't feel like you're special. Ah, so I get put in another holding room for another ten hours. And then they come to the room again. So oh, time to move you one more time. So this time, now it's middle of the night, so I don't feel so bad now because no one's in the airport. So this time they take me outside and they put me in the back of a police car and then um, they take me to East LA Jail. I said, oh, no, it's a rock up. And luckily I was the only one in my cell. So I'm there for about eight hours or so. And then um, get, they, they take me back to the airport in the morning. And now it's like nine o'clock and it's rush hour. There's people everywhere, and it's shoulder to shoulder, and um, they lead me through the airport again. Three coppers either side, handcuffed. Uh, haven't showered in days. It's like, oh, this really sucks. Um, so, and then everyone's there's like a couple hundred people at the gate waiting to catch the plane, and then they put me on the plane in front of everyone first. So then everyone that come onto the plane after that, looking at me trying to get as far as away as possible, because I was the I was a terrorist, and then. Um, uh, they, yeah, they, they didn't handcuff me, let me go. And then uh, they tell me, all right, you're banned from America. So don't come back you, for... F- they banned you? Don't, don't come back for five years. It's like, oh, shit, okay. And then, um, so fly back to Australia, get off the plane, and it's like four days later. It's like, what the hell? And now, now I've got nowhere to live. I've got $500 in my name. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got a pregnant missus that it's, uh, yeah, in, in America that I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I, I, I take my gear. I, I walk to the uh, Air New Zealand desk. I give them my, my ticket. Can I please refund this ticket, please, to get my four and a half thousand back? I said, oh, unfortunately, there's an eight-week turnaround period where we've got to send the ticket to the office. and, and yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. But we'll send you the refund in eight weeks' time. It's like, no, so nowhere to live, no 500 bucks, so far out, this is, you're joking. What did you do? Um, so lucky I had a, uh, a friend that I borrowed a little bit of money off um, that I, I swore I was going to pay him back, and then uh, my my wife, we had our old car and a little bit of furniture, so she, she sold everything, um, she saved enough, enough money to fly to Australia before the baby came, um, and then, oh yeah, so she had, her her father was dying um, of uh, liver disease. So he needed a liver transplant, 
And then, um, so she, that wasn't, she was, he was in and out of hospital, in and out of consciousness. So she Jeez. didn't know if she should leave her, her father who was dying or come to Australia and have the baby with me. And then the, luckily the dad said, oh, you got to be with your husband. You're having a, you got to share the experience. You got to share the birth. So she saved the money, flew to Australia. And then by this stage, uh, finally got the money, come back. And then, uh, and then from that moment forward, my career just went boop, 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 boop. Started getting offers from Japan and Europe and, uh, the money started going up and up and up and up and up, and then yeah, it ended up being the biggest blessing of the of, in disguise that you could ever imagine. So what ended up being the worst experience of my life ended up being the biggest blessing of my life. I've it, had it. It's often the case, isn't it? Like when when things happen to you, like when you break up with people, or when when adversity happens to oh. you, it's 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 often the the making of the the man or woman at the time. You know, it's, it, everything that happens to you is happens to you at the right time for the right reason. It's to show you something within yourself, isn't it? Really, mm. in essence, in a lot of cases. So I had I had um, in America um, the Muay Thai is not very big, even to this day. Muay Thai is not very popular. Uh, even though the UFC is so amazing, um, Muay Thai is not very on anyone's spectrum. So, yeah. um, so I was working at a, a boxing gym and I was making okay money, but it wasn't huge. And then as soon as I got back to Australia, uh, all of a sudden these different offers started coming through. And um, like like before, not the craziest money, but the same idea, the same sort of theory. Where I'm flying three to, to five, three to five grand. Yeah. yeah, I'm flying to Europe now. I'm flying to Italy, Holland, uh, France, uh, England. Um, and then I got a contract with Japan for K1, and next thing I'm fighting in front of 30,000 people in Japan, and they had a TV audience in Japan of about 20 million people. So yeah. just, uh, and then all of a sudden the prize money's gone from 5 to 10 to 15 to 20. Um, and then, yeah, just, uh, uh the baby's born, uh, so, and that, now we're set up, we're, we've got the gym, we've got the house, we've got, we've got three kids. Um, and she loves it. My wife, Angie, she loves it here in Australia too. Um, there's, there's no school shootings, which is always, a, always a blessing. <laughs> Fucking hell, um, yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, on, as much as America would have been fun, cause I wanted to be there for her, but, uh, she's so happy that how things worked out and now we have a different lifestyle here and a lot more, uh, uh certainty. Yeah, I, th- I think, well, like you said, you, you, you've, you've, you've fought for that prize money, you got your house, you own your house, you own your gym. You got your, your your kids here. Your kids have got a beautiful life here. Mm. The kids, I mean, they could have a beautiful life in America, but like you say, it's a, it's a bit more of a. You got to be a bit more switched on over there in terms oh. of what happens to you. And uh, we have free med- Medicare here, uh, free schooling. Uh, just the yeah the, over there. Uh, you ever been to America? No, I've not been to America yet. Um, so when you see the homeless, it's um, quite depressing. So if one person gets sick and they don't have health insurance, uh, it could be a hundred thousand dollar bill. So if you got a house, you got to sell your house, you got to sell your possessions. Yeah. Next meeting on the street, you got a couple of kids, and then you can't support the kids. And the Smart, kids are the, isn't it? It's Smart. just like you, you'd, my morning run. I had to change my run because um, I'd run past all these homeless people and this thing, and a lot of them have mel- mental health issues with it. And talking to themselves and they're clicking and walking around in a circle. So, and there's no yeah. help because they don't because they don't have health insurance. They can't get the help that they need to help get them to the next level. So it's like it was so. Dep- Even though America, we're, we're pro- programmed to think it's a home of the dream, but then yeah. we get there, it's like this is a nightmare. This isn't a dream at all. This is terrible. We're gonna have it so good in Australia compared yeah. to over there. Um, poverty is just out of control. So it was, I, a, it was I've, a very I've seen, big wake up call. I've seen pictures recently, like in LA, where there's like whole streets, John, of like oh, pe- yeah. people in tents on the street. 
that was back but, in the early 2000s so i couldn't even imagine what it's like now yeah even more so with the covid and everything else but um uh, and even with the gym the gym that i was training at uh we weren't allowed the whole focus mitts or, or pads or anything everything was a, a big kick shield because i was scared that if there was a mistake and someone got hit on the nose and they got a nosebleed that they'd be sued so um so yeah even training and teaching was such a no contact, no this or that. Is, is, is that how you're earning a little bit of cash in America? Then you're just doing a bit of training on the side. So you're training yourself. Oh, no. I was, I was, I was working eighteen hours a day in a, in a boxing gym, um, but the classes were very structured where you, you couldn't uh, do anything that was going to potentially get someone hurt. So we had we're teaching a bag for half an hour, and then we're teaching a big kit shield for half an hour, and then. Uh, it was, and if you're doing five, six classes a day, it's hard to get uh, excited because it, you can only do so yeah. many different combinations on a, on yeah, a bag yeah, or, a, or yeah. a big shield, not even like pads. <laughs> and they're scared if they, they miss the pad and they get hit that they'd be closed down. So, yeah, it's really, really sucked. And when I got back to Australia, I was my own boss again. So then I can do whatever I want. So, how, how hard is it initially to get the gym off the ground for you, though? Oh, very difficult. Because uh, I, I, I tried to have a a boxing gym in the past myself and um, very fucking difficult to, mm. to even get it past a couple of grand a week in the initial stages. Do you know what I mean? Like people don't know how much work there is in get, especially in any form of martial art gym. It's just so difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I was very lucky to have a, a backup career. So even though the gym was just getting by, I was surviving off more so off my prize money than I was from my um, gym membership yeah so the gym would, was enough to to pay for the rent to pay for the electricity to pay for whatever overheads happen to pop up but um but if i wanted to maintain a, a a nice lifestyle then that was where i was i've been competing for so long uh, even now 45 um i'm comfortable but uh if i yeah. want to top up the kitty i just keep keep being as busy as possible so yeah because I, I was speaking to you on the way in and and i thought i thought that last fight that you had was your last one and then you told me you'd got another. You you still got a contract for five more fights, right? Yes, for one championship. And then, um, so if I get two more two more fights, hopefully I can. I've, I've paid off my house, um, and then just to have that, knowing the overhead's done. Um, so after I fought Mundine, uh, I bought solar for the gym and for my house. So I'd, uh, electricity bills are now gone, and if I can pay off my house, I don't have a mortgage. Uh, that's another thing that's uh, done. And then whatever I make from the gym is just uh, cream on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I love how you've invested your money all into your family, your your life, your home, your gym, and everything. Yeah. So, so so you're 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 now in a position where you're saying that after two more fights of this five, you're completely free of all your bills and everything. And I want to be that guy that can inspire people. That hopefully, um, through my passion, uh, sure it was tough and it was very hard, but because I didn't give up on my own dream. And I was able to be successful enough to own a own house, all through punching faces. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know, but I know fucking how tough you've had it to, and how many years you've put in to get to the point where you, to pay that house off. I mean, that's phenomenal, mate. Mm. To to do that just to pay a house off for your family to put, so, you know, fighting Mundine. Let's talk about that, right? I mean. The way, the story as I've got it is you took someone else to spar Mundine, right? Yes. You took you took one of your fights to spar Mundine for a fight that he was getting ready for, and then you got the call like two or three weeks later to, if you wanted to fight Mundine. Yeah, that's how that came about, right? Yeah. Um, so I took my young guy down the spar. I think uh, Mundine was getting ready for Horn, 
and then I don't know how it worked out, but uh, yeah, somehow or other, the, the promoter called me, and I was preparing preparing for a kickboxing fight in Japan. I said, "Hey, we got a uh, a fight proposition uh, proposition for you. How would you like to have a boxing fight?" It's like, "Oh, my boxing fight. So most of our maids like a uh, six grand." Um, yeah, and I'm making uh, about 30, 40 grand doing the Muay Thai, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, what about if we, we propose uh, Anthony Mundine? And at that stage, he, Anthony was the Conor McGregor of Australia when it came to a payday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool yeah, shit. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You definitely got my attention, uh, sure. So, uh, and then even the Mundine fight, that was only 65. Because he's a big, he's a big, he's, he, he is a good man, he's a good fighter, isn't he? But he's oh, a big sure. talker, he's a big talker as well. So, even... Um, People think, oh, millions of dollars a fight Mundine. It was only 65. I was 50 for the fight. And then we generated another 15 grand through internet sales for the pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah, So 65 grand a fight Mundine. Um, so it's not retirement money. It's enough to... To, to put solar on your house. To, to, buy some, <laughs> to buy some nice things and to put solar on and buy the gym and uh, solar for the gym. But um, definitely not retirement money. Do, 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 you, do, do you... Just a quick one there. Do you own the building that the gym's in? Yep. So you've bought the building as well. So you've yes. bought the commercial real estate as well. Yeah. That's fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Man. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, like everything that you've earned out of, out of, out of all this fighting, so you literally put, you've literally bought assets with it, right? Yes. Uh, my accountant, uh, early 2000, she was explaining that there's no superannuation in fighting. So once you're done, you're done. So you really have to think wisely of what you're going to do and how you're going to spend. Um, and the best uh, advice I could give you is invest in bricks and mortar. Yeah, uh, that's never gonna uh, outdate. So, so once I started saving a few money, and then I had uh, sponsors that um, uh, helped me put my deposit down for the gym. Yeah, so, but being commercial, it was I think it was twenty percent. I think yeah, it's a lot more money than the house. The house was easy to save up for. So, um, it was about ninety ninety k. So we went thirds, and then uh, about a year later, it was two brothers. And the two brothers had a, a bit of a disagreement, so they separated. And then one of the brothers said, "Hey, look, uh, unfortunately, we're gonna need our ninety grand back. We'll give you, we'll give you uh, twelve months to pay us. Uh, otherwise, we're gonna sell your gym." Oh no, that sucks. So yeah, so I had to try and scrounge around and get as many fights as possible and live off two minute noodles for a little while. But uh, eventually, I, I ended up um, like like before, like the whole um, yeah, yeah, getting yeah. deported. At the time, it sucked ass. But now, uh, now that I've paid them off, now that I own the gym 100% to myself, and it was another blessing in disguise at the time that sucked. But they ended up turning around, and being um, very fortunate that how it worked out. So, so I own my gym completely outright now. Oh, not not outright outright, but um, the account was like, oh, you, you can just drip dry the 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 gym because um, it's a tax write off. So there's yeah, no, there's yeah, no yeah. rush to pay it off. Pay your house off as fast as you can because yeah, yeah, that's yeah. just money down the drain. But if you can pay the um, house off and just just do what you can with the gym, then um, yeah, use that use that as your benefit. So, yeah, 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 sure. I, I, I love I love the I love the fact how you how you've you've structured it so you own the commercial real estate and you own your own home. You, you know, you, you even you've even gone to the point of like let's put solar on these places so I don't have to pay bills. Like yeah, yeah. not many people. Not many people, especially fighters. Fight. What I've noticed about fighters is most fighters' um, money's here today, gone tomorrow. Yes, they don't use it. And you, you. To be fair, if you'd been, if you'd, if you'd come round on the scene about another ten years after you did, right from from when you started and when you really started to win those first titles, you would have been, you would, you, you'd have been in the in in the era that we 
like the where we are now where you'd be in the prime time where you could be earning real big chunks of cash like where you could buy a house every fight yeah like potentially potentially if you if you'd been on the right tours you know ufc and all that shit like so to be able to say that you've earned the 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 purses that you have which will which will, let's be let's face it even your highest purses are modest considering the amount of work you've put into your career but to say that you've got so much out of it even with the modest purses that you've had is phenomenal mate yeah um, oh, 148 fights so you, you, you get a lot of change did, did did you ever calculate how much you'd earned for 148 fights oh, in total no 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 never done the, the maths never done never done never done the maths Google says I got about 20 million and <laughs> so say so don't listen to Google because I think Google might be full of shit <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or maybe or maybe you're just hiding it from the text man maybe you maybe, maybe. <laughs> but what's she how proud are you as a dad now that you've you, your kids are now fighting oh it's amazing uh, so Jazzy my oldest, oldest daughter she started fighting when she was eight um, and that ended up being a, a massive media storm because uh, of, of my personality um the Gold Coast Bulletin uh, threw me under the bus. Uh, I gave them a call to see if they want to do a little story on Jazzy when she was eight before her first fight because yeah. uh, just to have something for a scrapbook. So when she's older, ah, oh, there's my first fight. But, yeah, 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 yeah. So they came out and me and Jazzy on the on the back sports page, um, daughter of John Wayne Park competing for the first time, shin pads, protection, the whole business, uh, three one and a halves. Yeah, just, yeah, um, yeah. just the kids, just normal kids. Uh, kids are fighting every weekend. Yeah, no, yeah. no big deal. But because because uh, of my profile, um, the they said, "Oh, do you mind if we come to the the venue and we'll do a follow up story on Jazzy?" Oh, this is amazing! And they said, do you mind if we bring Channel Nine with us? Oh, this is even better. This is so good. Not knowing that they were going to scrutinise every single action that I was going to take. Um, so Jazzy has her first fight. She gets kicked in the leg a few times. She starts crying a little bit on the ring, and then the end of the first round, comes back to the corner. I get her to calm down, take some big breaths. Jazzy, come on, you got to start blocking, start using your range, start using the, um, stop getting your leg kicked. And then round two, she comes out stronger. She starts winning. Round three, she comes out even stronger again. And then uh, it ended up being a draw. And the crowd are so appreciative of fam- friends and family. Uh, as a boxing etiquette, um, if people are entertained, they'll put twenty bucks or ten bucks or fifteen bucks in the ring, and then at the end of the end of it, you, you get up all the money and you fifty fifty. So the both little girls made like one hundred and fifty dollars each. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How good is this? This is crazy. Yeah. And then, um, so because I knew the media was there, the next day I went down to the to the uh, news agents to buy the paper to see if there's anything in the back. And then I get to the news agents, and then I see Jazzy on the front page of the the Gold Coast Bulletin. So, oh no, this isn't good. And then uh, the the title of the heading was um, uh, "Venue Full of Drunken Yobos Screaming for Eight Year Old Blood." It's like, oh, what is this? And then I uh, read the read the the story inside the the paper, and it's just like just just shit. Yeah, it's like, oh no, this is terrible. And they've spun it as if you're getting your eight year old to fight for cash. And then, um, so the next morning's uh, Monday. I go downstairs, I put the bins out. No, 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 I'm just about to go downstairs and I hear a knock, knock, knock. It's like six in the morning. That could be. So I go downstairs, open the door, and uh, it's the day tonight where they got the TV camera right yeah, in my face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're going to do, do an interview, an exclusive interview. I said, oh, it's 
six in the morning, everyone's sleeping. I said, oh, is there any chance you can come back probably about eight or so? Wait till everyone wakes up, have some brekkie. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So um, I go downstairs a little bit later to, to take my bins out. And then um, there's today, tonight, sitting in the car outside my house. It's like, I thought you guys were going to come back at eight. So oh, unfortunately, we can't leave. If another film crew happened to rock up right now, um, we lose our exclusive because we're here first. We get the first exclusive. That's strange. Anyway, so eight o'clock comes. We go to the gym. Um, Jazzy does some little pads on the. On, um, done some pads, some kickings, does some bag, does some sit-ups and push-ups. Um, does the interview. Everyone's really good. Everyone's smiling and happy. And then uh, so they take off. And about an hour later, the producer rings up and says, "Hey, this is uh, such and such from um, today tonight. Uh, unfortunately, we can't run your story because uh, you guys seem too happy." And there's a different different uh, storyline we're trying to run, and it's not going to work with you guys being so uh, so in, in, enjoying what you do. So, uh, <laughs> I said, uh, if we can give you any word of advice, uh, we'll tell you to turn your phone off because you're uh, today's number one trending story. So what? And then the second they hang up, from that moment forward, it's like just bang, bang, bang. Uh, B105, Triple M, Curiam uh, Mail, the Perth Radio, uh, this TV station. It's like holy shit. And then um, answering all these calls. And because I'm, one, I want to protect, protect my family. And two, I want to protect my sport. How could you put her in the ring? It's like, it, it's a perfectly, it's not safe, safe. But at the same time, being a parent, watching my child ex- excel at a sport that she really enjoys and having doctors there and everything else and the rule sets and she's wearing protection. It's just like a big pillow fight at the end, yeah, end of the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, oh, and then I, I get a, a call about four can you come to the Brisbane River and do an, uh, uh, the 7 o'clock project when I do an exclusive interview? Uh, sure. So drive down to Brizzy. Jazzy, you want to jump in the car? Since it's about you, let's jump in. Get to Brisbane River. And then the producer's like, oh, she can't be on the, on, the, on the cross, on the live cross because she's underage. Yeah, but the story's about her. You want to do a story? Yeah, but she can't be on the cross because she's... It's like, and then she starts crying because I've drove all this way, and it's like, oh, now you've upset my daughter, and now she's upset. Um, so, oh, whatever. And then they put the the headphones on, and then uh, I, I just want to tell you before the interview starts that we're a fast moving news agent, and then we want to try and keep um, limited your answers to thirty seconds. And then I can hear him talking uh, on the intro. All right, so we've got John Wayne Power on the line. He's a a, a world champion kickboxer. Uh, puts his daughter in the ring. So, John, tell us, is it true that you're trying to live your dreams through your daughter? And it's like, what? What are you talking about? And then, um, yeah, just scrutinize, just just under the bus for the whole entire segment. It's like, what? What? It's just fun. She just she made 150 bucks. Um, she got to do the sport. She's so happy. She's living the dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah, got yeah. a trophy. She's so excited. And you guys are making it sound like I'm fed of the crocodiles. Like, what's going on? Yeah. And then, um, so that that went for, on for two weeks, just getting. Uh, and then it got to the stage where uh, uh, Good Morning America flew out from America to come and do an interview on her, and uh, a BBC TV came to Australia to film her as well and do all these different things, all because she was eight. And then, um, and then once we hit uh, England, they they changed the 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 tune. They said, "Well, we want to get girls into the front line of the army." And then his girls want because she's a girl. If yeah. it's a boy fighting, we don't care. But because it's a girl, we're going to make all those things. But it, when it comes to the army and the front line, we're happy to chuck it. So what's the difference? 
It's like everyone started changing their, their sort of perception then. It's like, yeah, yeah. that's a good point. That's a good point. We want equal rights. It's like, yeah, this is exactly right. And then uh, from that moment forward, um, so another gentleman, after about a week of shit, uh, uh, a guy from the Brisbane Times, he, he uh, emailed me saying, oh, I can't believe the media is showing under the bus so hard because uh, I do Taekwondo with my kids and we love it. We think it's amazing. We think martial arts is such a good sport for everyone growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, the best advice that I give you is um, today's news is tomorrow's fish and chip wrapper. So whatever they take, just stop answering their calls because the more you feed them, the more you, they're going to try and... Um, more they keep you current. More, yeah, more yeah, you throw, yeah. throw you under the bus. So um, if you stop answering them, they'll stop ringing. So oh, it's, it's the perfect analogy. That's perfect. So um, yeah, as soon as I stopped sort of putting it in that perspective, everything changed. And then, uh, yeah, and then as soon as they stop picking on you, then they'll pick on someone else then. Yeah, yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll move on. And then, uh, then a couple of years, say so Jazzy ended up retiring. She was like so disheartened that she got treated so badly by everybody. And the, the worst part was you'd pick up the paper and you'd read all the story and you'd think you were, you was embarrassing. Then you go to the shops and then, um, people would tap around the shop. Hey, I read that story. Don't listen to the story. I grew up doing martial arts. I love martial arts. I think martial arts is awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. And then the, the positivity of people on the street compared to what you're reading what was you're completely reading. Yeah, yeah. different contrast. Every it. single person that I've seen on the street saying, keep doing what you're doing. It's awesome. It's so good to see her living her own dream. Um, so even though the media was crap, the people on the street, they they couldn't pull the wool over the people's eyes. So um, it, was, it was so supportive. It was really cool. And then, um, so Jazzy retired and a couple of years later she came back again and then her first fight back, she, she front kicks this girl on the face and then um, the girl goes down and she gives up. And then, uh, the next day she's on the front page again. Uh, and then the, the head, the title was the knockout queen's back. Now she's 11 and now she's, she's, it's like, yeah. oh. now, now it's funny. Now yeah. you guys are just a joke. It's like, she's 11 now and <clears> she's <throat> doing the same stuff and you still guys want to run the same storyline you ran three years ago. Um, and then she started fighting in England and winning belts and fighting in Canada and fighting in Thailand and winning, 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 winning. And yeah, then, yeah. and then they became fans. Oh, we always knew Jazzy was going to be a star. She's yeah. always had our support. So no, she did. You guys are jumping yeah. on the bandwagon now that she's come, becoming someone. Yeah. But before you tried to throw us under the bus, you almost made her retire because of the, all the scrutiny. Yeah. And now she's famous. And, now. and this is just a young girl that's just doing what she's passionate oh, about. You know? She just wants to follow she, mom and dad's footprints. She she sees me living the lifestyle. Yeah. I want to live that lifestyle yeah. too. Well, of course, because you because by you being around her all that time and by her seeing all that stuff she's naturally going to want to do it isn't she well I own a gym so the moment she was born she's been in that environment her life so for her to see people sparring hitting the bag hitting the pads fighting every few months and going to the shows and sitting in the crowd and getting the hand raised and getting the accolades she's, so she, why, she's don't, why wouldn't I want to that as well that's awesome yeah, I yeah. want to be like I want to yeah. be like that did, and, did, did, did she from her perspective do you think that she ever found it hard with you being her dad with all the accolades that you'd won Oh, no. She loves it. So a couple... Of, I remember... I think she was approximately... Maybe 13 or 14. I fought in... Uh, I did my own promotion. It was a, one of the first uh, cage Muay Thai shows here in Australia. Um, I fought a gentleman from... Holland. And I stopped him in the third. And then I remember getting my hand raised and getting a belt and getting pictures. And Jazzy jumps up in the cage. And then she's like... I remember her looking up at me with the big eyes going... Um, 
uh, I'm so lucky to have the best dad in the world. This is so cool. Um, it's beautiful. And it's like, wow. It just made everything... Uh, um, powerful. Just, That's powerful just, just, shit. Yeah, when, powerful when your shit. daughter's looking up to you with uh, that genuine appreciation I can't believe you're my dad you're like the coolest dad ever yeah oh right in the fields right in the fields yeah man like I'm I'm tearing up (laughs) I'm just I'm just tearing up hearing about it man that's some crazy stuff and then uh, we get to be in the gym every day we live a cool lifestyle don't have to have a real job and then um, it's like I don't want a real I want to do what you're doing let me just tell you something the job that you've done is a lot harder than a real job fact like there's no, there's no doubt about that the life the, the, the training you've put in six six and a half hours of training every day like you were doing in thailand is is like equivalent to working a week's worth of job in, in australia yeah, like but the, I, I i do it if i wasn't doing it getting paid and i had a normal job i'd still be doing it for free and paying yeah, someone to teach me what yeah I'm doing. yeah because you just said, loved it that much said that to be able to, to make a, a living to, out to turn a hobby into a profession is um yeah definitely a dream come true. It's so it's so cool. Um yeah, I wouldn't want to have to work nine hours, ten hours, and then have to go training after that. It'd be impossible. So what's her record now as a fighter? Uh, she's twenty seven fights. Uh, I think she's twenty three wins. Um, she's fought in Canada once, England twice, and Thailand three times. Yeah, so man. she won. She won. She had a massive fight in Thailand, didn't she? She had three massive fights in Thailand. Um. So she she won the first two. She just got no. Her first fight in Thailand was in front of uh, twenty thousand people in a park, like I was talking about before. Yeah, 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 That's yeah. her promotion. She fought a, one of the young Thai girls that was coming up on the ranks and a superstar live on Thai TV. Um, I'll have to get her on the podcast to talk about it. <laughs> and then she 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 won that one, and then she won that second one, and the third one she should have won, but somehow rather the judges were a bit iffy, um, different scoring. But she's had two fights in England for two wins. I oh, know she no. She just got beat her second one. The first one she went and built, and then in Canada she um, just got beat as well. So, but yeah, very. Did she win that one? I can't remember. Too many. Just, just think, just think, right? If you'd never gone to America, you'd never, you'd, huh. you'd have never, you'd have never seen all this from your own daughter. So it's, and then, then it's my mad how things work out, isn't it? My son, he's thirteen. He started competing when he was eight, kickboxing first, and now we've got jujitsu in the gym. So now he's uh gone jiu jitsu crazy where he's competing every couple couple of weeks. Um he's one of the, the the leading kids for his weight division. He's a be- uh, belt category in Australia. Yeah, what so, what belt is he so far? Uh, uh, he's only a grey, but um he's competing all the time. He and on there there's a thing called the oh, there's a certain website. Um they can have all the kids uh records and and rankings, yeah. Rankings yeah. and uh, Jesse's number 1. So yeah, yeah that's, that's that's quality. It's it's very it's, cool. it's, it's, ve- it's obvious with you that fighting's gonna f- gonna fall into the family, isn't it? Like at the end yeah. of the day, especially with especially with a man like you, and then and then Angie with with everything she's achieved in the sport. I yeah. mean, come on. I mean, and then we've got a seven year old that's also uh, crazy about the BJJ and also wants to um, start competing Muay Thai as soon as possible. She, the the other two the other two kids started fighting when, when they were eight, and she wants to fight when she was seven just to so show she's more dominant than those two. So, oh so, yeah, she doesn't want to be eight. She wants to do it before she's yeah. while she's still seven, just to show the other two. And uh, and do you reckon they'll all have? They'll all have. The, do you reckon the other two will have professional careers as well? Oh, for sure. Um, my my young guy's obsessed. He loves the jutsu. Um, he 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 travels to different gyms with the uh, our professor on the off days that we're not training at my gym, and then uh, he might do two or three classes in one day after school. 
um, just to pick up his skills. And uh, I've told him as well, if uh, you don't have to ask me to compete in any competitions that are coming up on the line, just just to, just do it. Um, I'll support you either way. The more experience you can get on the mat, then the more experience you'll have later in life as well. Yeah. So he has that same mindset as myself, where um, he he's seen me. And then, you know, if you want to accomplish something, the only way you're going to do it is to do it. You can't talk about it. You've got to get in there and um, achieve it for yourself. In regards to mindset, because everything you've achieved and everything that the kids are achieving now, it, it, it is all mindset. Yes. What, for, for the audience listening to this, like, what, what, like if, there's, if there's three key things like the learnings in terms of your mindset that you could drop on the world, what, what would they be? Uh, if you want something bad enough, you'll make it happen. Uh don't make excuses. You can talk about it all day. There's nothing worse than someone that tells you how great they are. Well, if you're so great, show me. Show me. Yeah. Don't talk about it. Do it. Um, tell me about your wins. Don't tell me about how you're going to win. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so much. It's so much easier when. Um, uh, and then going, especially after having so many fights as, as I've had, um, when people win, the conversation. How'd you go? I won. Conversation's done. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. How'd you go? Oh well, like you know, I was going to oh, almost won, but Don't this and this, excuses. and then the the story for coming seconds this long, where when you win, it's yeah. like I won, yeah. two words, I won. Yeah. <laughs> Conversation's done. So yeah, and then um, yeah, just uh, yeah, there's there's the only person that can stop you from achieving is yourself. Don't listen to mum and dad. Don't listen to your friends. Don't worry what they think. If you want it bad enough, um, who cares? Uh, There's so many people limited by their parents. Oh, for so sure. many, for sure, for sure. And then um, it's it's hard, but if you're willing to persevere and um, um, sacrifice, even if you don't become a super duper star, if you can learn enough skills, where eventually you get a job in a gym, you still get to live the lifestyle. You still yeah. get to teach and hold pads and and pass on your knowledge. And then you not might not become the champion, but the person you train can possibly become the champion. Mm. So either way, you still get to live the lifestyle. You still get to um, going to work's a pleasure instead of going to work thinking, oh no, I hate this job. So yeah, it's better to it's better to not make as much money as everyone else, but love what you do instead of trying to be successful in something that you hate. Happiness is the key. Happiness has to be the key focus, doesn't oh, it? Oh, for sure, for sure. Like, do, do you know what I mean? Like, there's so many, you see so many people out there that are not happy where they're at, what they're doing, this, that, and the other, um, that, that put, they put their goals around things that, you know, things that don't really, you know, get like, let's just say a car or a house or a monetary goal, which don't really add any value to your life beyond achieving you know that little it's, it's not worth anything. it's not worth anything is it it's like whereas you whereas it's clear to see that you've put it around family you've put it around following your purpose you've put it around providing providing something a, a legacy as well like providing for your family like the, ho- the whole the whole the whole thing the whole the whole it just seems like your whole career has has all uh, it, it just seems like the question you've asked yourself every morning is like what makes john happy today okay yeah. i'm gonna do that uh, and then if I have to teach three or four classes in a day, I'm in a room full of people with the same passion that I have, and then it's just fun. It's not a comp- considered work per se. It's uh, just going doing what I something wanted to do anyway. So yeah. so I just get to share that with a room full of people that has the same passion that I do. So it makes it it's just enjoyable. 
Um, and then watching people um, today, someone comes in and they're kicking this high, and they come in a few days later, next minute they're kicking this high, yeah, and yeah. you can see the the exhilaration of them yeah. knowing that they've achieved something they wanted to achieve as well. So then you're both happy. You're both like, yeah, I can't believe you. Yeah. How, how well you're doing, and you're doing so strong, and you're being. Um, they might have a fight, and they get the little trophy, and then ten fights later they get their first belt, and it's like, wow, we're, we're achieving this together. I oh, know because one of the, one of the, one of the things is one of the things we haven't talked about here um, that we should really touch upon is the fact that you've had like hip replacements and stuff like that. You've oh. been you've been through some serious surgeries and come back, haven't you? Yeah. Um, Oh, just before we change the subject, um, so when you see someone come into the gym, they have no idea how to hold their hands up, they have no idea how about footwork or how to strike or balance or anything, and then uh, it's like uh, molding a pot. Yeah, and then, yeah, and yeah, then yeah, you, yeah. You start off with a, just a, a ball of clay, and eventually, 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 and then you have this masterpiece, and that's what yeah. that, um, every day when someone comes into the gym, and that's where you get that, and and I can see it lights you up. That's yeah. what lights you up seeing seeing that development inside another person's life, because you know they might have things. Even when you, a lot of people that that do a martial art have a lot of shit going on in their personal life that they're trying to perhaps get away from sometimes. And when you're around a martial art like boxing, like Muay Thai, like this, it allows you to go and just be. It's like meditation. It's like it's like in that that is your peaceful place, that gym, that environment. Um, and then because it's a lifestyle, uh, you're you're eating healthy, you're keeping fit, um, you've made new friends that have the same passion as you do. Yeah, uh, and it's an enjoyable. All right, Steve, I'll see you tomorrow. We'll hop out to Richard tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, now yeah, you, got, now, yeah, now yeah. you. All right, I've got to be at the gym tomorrow because I told Steve I was going to be there. And then um, you have this this new, yeah, completely different. Instead of finishing work, cracking a beer, sitting in front of the telly, listening to the news that's telling you the world's ending, or we're going to war, or it's just good depression. Yeah, it's just negativity. You get to the gym, you turn off from the world, you're you're uh, exhausted, and you're you're sweating, and you're. Uh, you, but then after the session, you feel alive. You have that endorphin yes, rush yes, of having yes. a good session. Um, and then alright I'll see you again tomorrow I'll see you Steve yep see you tomorrow yeah. then you've got a purpose I've got to, I'm going to make sure I see Steve again tomorrow because he's holding pads on me yeah, and yeah, then um, yeah. it just gives uh, happiness martial arts is uh, violence is the answer I don't care what anyone says they, they try and breed India that it's not but it is violence is the answer I'd add to that it's, it's, it's controlled violence controlled violence so, so, so at the end of the day right all martial arts are a set of skills that could that could end anybody taught in a respectful manner and by teaching them in that respectful manner as an art form rather than as just go and hit someone in the face for no fucking reason oh for sure that that level of respect that you're taught carries on through every element of your life so we're in business in the way that you treat women in the way that you you operate as a man in the way in the way in the way in the things that you will and won't accept in the world like it's all comes from that form of going to a boxing gym going to a muay thai gym going to these places that's that's and the the, the generally speaking in life the people that don't want to fight you the people that don't want any animosity with people are those people like I, you, like John Wayne Pye does not walk down the street and pick a fight with someone because 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 you just wouldn't do that. No. Do you know what I mean? But but the, the but it's usually I the people that can't. I want I only fight that person for money. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. You you want to get paid if you fight, right? I'm not running a community service here. I want to get paid. <laughs> no, but there's, no, but there's lots of, there's lots of fucking juiced up people from like from like these these world gyms and that 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 that, that just because they look big and they have got tattoos, they think they can fight and they can't fight for shit. 
They couldn't, they couldn't box eggs in, in coals, man. Another thing it teaches is if I want to achieve something, it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. So I know that, all right, I want money. All right, the only way I'm going to get there is to be successful. Yeah, Especially yeah. when you're living on the floor for so long. Uh, every night, when you put your head on the, on your pillow, it's like, oh, I, I have to I have to make sure that I'm not yeah. like this forever. I want to I want to try and become somebody. I want to I want to leave a legacy. I don't want to pass and have people forget all the work and everything I've yeah. achieved. I want to make sure that um, it lives on. I, I I I don't know whether you're very like I don't know whether John you're a very spiritual person, but I've been reading a lot a lot more about this spirituality type stuff like over the last twelve months, and and they say that people. When you when people come to the planet, they have a karmic destiny and what like a karmic destiny of things that they have to achieve in their life, and it just seems very much to me when you've spoken right the way through this podcast that it it was like a karmic destiny of stuff that you had to to tick off in order to leave this legacy, in order to inspire these kids. In order, it, there's a there's a bigger thing to it than just you know just money and all this other crap that well, goes along with it. It's just the, the legacy thing was from 13 years old. I, I, yeah. I've told myself the whole time. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to do this for a purpose. Is to make sure that I'm not forgotten. Yeah. So, and, I, and, I, and, I, and then you look at Muhammad Ali and a gentleman called Raymond Deckers and Bruce yeah, Lee. Yeah. All these guys have, have set the bar. So after they passed, like their legacy is is stronger now than yeah, it was when they yeah, were here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that, was, yeah. that was my plan. It's it's a sh- it's a shame though that 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 sometimes um a, a man like Bruce Lee or or Muhammad Ali has to pass before he's truly appreciated in the art form. But it's often the way with fighters that when you pass, that you you people are like fucking hell, like, now I appreciate now I appreciate how fucking good he was. Like do you know what I mean? It's just it's just a, it's just a sad state of how the world works. But either way, they're going to remember the name John Wayne Parr, so I won't worry about that. <laughs> and probably your sons and daughters' yeah. names for years to come as well, man. You, your your family will go down with a legacy. Ha. I just want to. I just want to. I just want to. Before we before we go, I want to. I want to break down um, some of this adversity you went through because obviously, like I said, like I was saying before, like you came back from the, you. You've had full like hip reconstructions and all that stuff, and you're yeah. still a, you're still a young man in the game, like really. Like, like, do you know what I mean? Like, how fucking hard is it for for a man of your age to get a hip fucking replaced yeah. and then to come back to do to to fighting? Um, so funny story. Uh, so he's been given problems for approximately two years, getting progressively worse every yeah. every, every week, and then uh, I've the 2019 um, August. I'm fighting in Japan. Uh, the the lead up to the fight is excruciating. Every day is just agony, agony, agony. And then... Because um, you fought an absolute get, killer in Japan, didn't you? He was a killer, uh, wasn't he? No, no. He was, he was okay. But he's not a killer. And then... Um, so... I get the fight proposition, the fight, Anthony Mundine. I'm thinking, oh, thank God. I don't have to, don't have to kick for 10 weeks uh, in the lead up, which is going to be a blessing in disguise. So uh, I, I, I go get an MRI um, to get a cortisone. And then the the gentleman takes the MRI. He looks at me and goes, "Oh, there's, you hit it. There's nothing left. There's no cartilage. It's bone on bone. Um, you got this cortisone injection. Uh, technically, I shouldn't be giving it to you, but because you're fighting Anthony Mundine, um, we'll give you one more. But th- this is the last one. After that, that's it. You're gonna have to get a hip replacement. Um, so uh, that the, another doctor looks at my scans and goes, "Oh, look, because your hip is so gone." Um, even though there's eight weeks to go before you fight Mundine, we suggest no more running because uh, your bone is so brutal right now that there's a good chance 
that uh, your femur head might snap on one of your runs. Oh my god! So, uh, so for eight weeks, every morning when I was putting on my shoes, I'm thinking, "Oh man, I hope my hip doesn't snap this morning because that's going to really." See, so so you ignore them. <laughs> I'm, I'm fighting Anthony Mundine. You got to do. You got to do the road work. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know. I know the game. I'm, I'm fighting. I'm fighting Anthony Mundine over ten rounds. Yeah. Uh, so Muay Thai is five, and now I'm fighting ten. Yeah. And uh, and then this is my Conor McGregor for Australia. This mm. is this is the man. Mm. Um, so yeah, so you got to uh, put that stamina in the tank, otherwise you have got no engine. Yeah, and then um, uh, even though it was agony, agony is not victory is more important than agony. Yeah. So, so even though I was uh, every night just laying in bed, just can't sleep because of the pain. Um, hopefully by the morning the pain will subside enough so I can get through the, the, another day. And then yeah. every morning as I'm putting on my shoes, I think, oh, should I take my phone with me just in case my femur head snaps halfway around the headland <laughs> and I'm stuck Fuck. on a, I'm stuck on a path and no one's walking past. So I've got to ring an ambulance or something. Sure, or, so, um, and then luckily, uh, I managed to, to get through the whole fight and got through the fight. And then, um, yeah, the, luckily for me, the, after the fight, the hip got to the stage where I couldn't even um, uh, hardly walk. Uh, I couldn't wait bare. Every time I took a step, my hip would give out. And then um, luckily, I got a, the Birmingham resurface. So the resurface isn't quite like a full hip replacement. So you can still go back to a, an active lifestyle. Um, you still compete in sport and still do everything else like, like you normally would. And then that's got about a 15-year expectancy before you have to get the full replacement then. So... Um, yeah, and I was very lucky from, from surgery. I was back in the cage fighting again, um, 10 months later against the number one guy in the world from Holland, uh, Nikki, um, on one championship last April. So yeah. hopefully, uh, I've got five more fights in my contract. The hips feels good. Um, uh, get a few more fights and then, uh, then we'll see what happens after that. But for now, yeah, just keep, keep do you, living, do you, living the dream. Do you ever, do you ever, do you ever sit there and think to yourself, do you know what? I, I'd rather just call it a day and keep my health as it is and and because it because when you do get to your age it is a fucking massive risk fighting the type of men that you're fighting nah. You know? nah. just another day just normal just normal um i'm willing to i i if if i died in in the cage it'd suck but at the same time that'd be like the ultimate the ultimate um way out everyone's gonna die and I'd rather I'd rather die fighting than die shitting myself and and dying yeah. of an evil you, disease. You, you want you, if you're going to go, you want to go doing something. I'd you rather love. Like go out on my shield. Um, yeah. Wouldn't be wouldn't be fun for the family. It'd be terrible. But at the same time, it'd be the ultimate warrior uh, sort of passing. It's give me it's give, when, yeah. you, when you say that, John. It gives me fucking goosebumps because of how and I don't, of how I don't, much I don't say how, that to be cute either. I, no, because I hundred percent. No, I, that's what that's why I got goosebumps, <laughs> yeah. John. Because when you say that, when you say that, I know how fucking I've got goosebumps all over my yeah. body because because I because I, I know you're telling the fucking the truth like yeah. that 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 is some deep shit. Yeah. And I, I've I've been I've been ringside to to some fights where people have got seriously fucking hurt, and um, I've even seen live on TV some someone. Someone who I know carried out the ring with brain, brain bleeds and all sorts of shit. And this is a dangerous game we're talking about. Oh, and, for sure. and for someone like yourself to 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 say that and, and mean it so deeply, that that doesn't go lost on me at all. Yeah. Like that's some serious shit. So, mate, full full respect to everything you've done. Full respect to your to your fucking career. I just fucking massively appreciate your time today, my man. 
you've you've achieved you've achieved way beyond what what other fighters have, have. and um and are still going to do it and the, as for the kids following in the footsteps and and everything that Angie's done and the and the beautiful family you have and the gym and the home and and, and just seeing it just seeing how everything lights you up has been truly inspiring to me i mean that I mean that solely mean that. Yeah. If there's one bit, if you if 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 you if you were going tomorrow, John, and there's one piece of advice and guidance that you could leave the world uh, in this moment, what would that one most powerful gift be left today? Uh, uh, if if you can't do martial arts, I believe get your kids into martial arts because there's it doesn't have to be kickboxing or boxing or anything brutal. Could be jiu-jitsu, could be karate, could be taekwondo. Um, but it it shows the young adolescents uh, gives them a purpose, and then they know from their experience that the more that they put in, that the, the more they can benefit from them. From and once they learn that in martial arts, then they can take that to their business life or their social life. Um, nothing's given to them on a platter. Have to work for everything, everything that they get, and and martial arts is the perfect example of um, of how to achieve greatness. So um, whether it's been keeping fit or staying healthy or or be able to protect yourself or be able to protect your friends or your family, yeah, um, it, it's, uh, it's and, and just shit. and just and gives like I was saying before. Um, once you start making that lifestyle and generating those friends and having a purpose, all right, I've got to go to train tomorrow. I've got to meet Steve again to to, to work out because he's relying on me to be there. Um, and then to have that, like I was saying, um, that good energy from a good session, uh, it just makes you feel you 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 walk out of the gym with a spring in your step and you can't wait to get back there tomorrow because yeah. you you just had so much fun. Hopefully, I have this much fun again tomorrow. Yeah. So, um, and it just gives you that confidence too. Uh, there's nothing worse. That we we live in a, such an age. We're sitting in front of the TV, and it's just depression, 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 depression. And then, uh, but people are so much stronger than they think they are. And when you're in the gym, and and you can start start learning the skills, and you start hitting the pads, and you realize, hang on a second, I'm 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 more stronger than I whatever yeah. thought I could be. Um, so. Yeah, people don't have to be the victim. They can be the hero of their own story if they want it bad enough. I love that. I love it, man. I love it. Do you know what? Right, that is that's probably the the the, the longest thing that anyone said at the end of the podcast. But it's but it's also one of the most powerful things that anyone's ever said because I I honestly believe that martial arts are the key to success in business are the key to success in your mindset are the key to success in your in building self-belief in building who you are as a human being and being and teaching someone compassion because when you get beaten the fuck out of the first time in your life and you're laying there on your back because you've just been put down by someone who's fucking levels upon levels upon where you are and and they treat you with humble respect and 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 they're kind to you that that teaches you a whole new level of humility that you never get from any other any other thing. And that's that's just from me to you guys. <laughs> but anyway, that's John Wayne Parr, the one of Australia's fucking national treasures, I might say. And look, if you could, John, do you want to drop your your website for your gym and your Instagram and stuff so people can follow you and get in touch with you? And, sure. I, and I'll put the links in the show notes as uh, well. So my gym is Bunchu Gym B O N C H U. Um, and then in English trans, translated, it means blessed by the gods. So it's very deep. It's very powerful. It's very strong. Um, and then all my social, social media is just John Wayne Parr, uh, P-A-R-R. 
Uh, and then, yeah, I'm, I, I like to have a giggle. Uh, I like to make memes. I like to have, uh, take the, the piss out of myself to, for my theory in life is people either laugh with you or laugh at you. But if you can make them laugh, that's, that's the win. you're winning. You're winning. You're so winning. if you take the piss out of yourself yeah, and make yeah, everyone yeah. laugh at you, then you're making people laugh. So therefore you won. A hundred percent. So go, so yeah, just click the links in the bio or go, go and follow John. If you guys can do us a solid favor um, and you, you love this podcast as much as I've loved, loved sitting here with John and, and you feel the heartfelt messages that John's put out here today, if you could just send myself and John a message on Instagram, let us know how you felt about the podcast. It, it, share the podcast with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it on Instagram. Share it on Facebook. Drop us a comment on YouTube. I appreciate you. You can follow me at Frankie Lee on Instagram. And I'm just saying thank you again, John Wayne Parr, you are an Australian treasure. Much love. (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe to the Frankie Lee Podcast.